bop, bop, peanut butter applesauce. Let's see. I'm on one, 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 peanut butter applesauce. Okay. What about that? Where am I? You're pretty good. Am I on the level? You're close. You'll be good. I'll probably get quieter when I'm talking, but. That's okay. You're a little hot right now. All right. I'll watch it. Where are you at, Jeff? Keep me hot. Right here. Just kidding. I don't know if anybody needs to keep you hot, Ryan. What were you just talking about with Jeff a second ago? You were talking about taking take some Cialis on the mountain on a hunting trip. Does it, that? It was just yeah. pre-talk of uh, altitude sickness. Yeah. Yeah, but you guys We're were planning taking... a hunt together, and you're talking about taking Cialis <laughs> while you're sleeping in the same tent together. Wow. I would be wor- I would be nervous if I were. Well, maybe that's why they call it the Hubba Hubba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my no. gosh, that's awesome! <laughs> this is Alaska DIY. Alaska DIY. Have you ever taken Cialis before? Is no. that or is that too personal of a question? No. <laughs> I will happily answer that. No, I have not. I think, have, think there's enough testosterone with all the hunting. I have heard that uh, it helps, but I've also heard the Diamox is kind of made for it. So I think we're going to go with the Diamox. Or yeah, judging no by the description, the Diamox fits better. Yeah. What's Diamox? Uh, altitude sickness medication. Okay. So I guess it uh, helps with, with uh, symptoms of altitude sickness. See us... This, these are things that we got to like look into before we go to Colorado. We're Washingtonians. We're like flatlanders, oh, yeah. sealanders. 6,000 feet high for us. It is. If you can find a place in Washington over 6,000, you're doing pretty good. So, no. We venture up to 12,000, 13,000 feet. We probably want to be, you know, more safe, better safe than sorry and take some Diamox. We did 10,000 last year in Nevada. I never felt a thing. No, I've never. Me either. I've never had, I've actually, I've skied a basin in Colorado and I didn't feel anything there. So, and that was skiing yeah. pretty hard, but geez, I just hear horror stories. It kind of worries me. It's like, man, yeah, you'd rather I'd not hate to wreck a trip and have to that, yeah. come down. But I know you've found some places in Washington higher than 6,000 feet though. Yep. I've seen I think as high as we've got is about 74. Oh, okay. That's about it's yeah. about the limit in Washington. Um, yeah, if you're doing higher than that, you're probably like hitting up, you're actually climbing a mountain. Yeah, you're summit. probably like Mount Baker or Rainier right or something. Yeah. Yeah. But give me a little more juice there, Jeff. What do you got, man? Uh, little, say that hubba hubba again. Hubba hubba. There you go. You might just have, do you, do you mind leaning in just a no, little bit? No, that's fine. More? How's this? Yeah. Is a little that, better? Is that no, that's fine. Pain in the ass? Nope. You're okay? Yeah. All right, cool. Right on. Okay, well, hey, we're sitting here with Jeff Lusk, a.k.a. Jeff. How did you get the nickname Lusky? Or is that just, that's your Instagram handle, right? Yeah. Uh, people used to call me Lusty Lusky. So I dropped what? the Lusty and just <laughs> left it at Lusky. Which is why Ryan is talking about taking Cialis oh, in the yeah. mountains, man. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Oh, I was yeah, wondering where the Lusky came from. I just never asked you. Uh, <laughs> I wish yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> that's awesome. And... And our good buddy Ryan Lampers, who I don't think needs much of an introduction, if any. Well, thanks for having me, Abe. Yeah, dude. Well, thanks for having me. This is your Airbnb. Yep. It's a pretty chill little spot. Sitting in Boise. These Airbnbs are great. So you get the whole house. I mean, there's a hot tub. 
I just saw Hill come back from the hot tub out back. So, yeah, we might not end up going very long on this here podcast. If <laughs> <laughs> there's a hot tub, Cialis right hot yeah. tub, <laughs> hubba hubba. <laughs> just gonna put the headphones in tonight. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh boy. I want to hear from Mister Lusty Lusk over there. Um, yeah, I want to hear about some of his stories. Yeah, he's done some stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I've got some questions. Go for it. Well, I know I know of a few hunts that he's done. Um, he's actually we've been on a couple hunts, two together, two two different hunts mm-hmm. together. Um, so I've got to hear that hear those stories, but I want to hear some of the stories that I I didn't get to see. Any in particular? Mule deer. How about a mule deer story? Yeah, I know you guys spent some time in Idaho. Yeah. Um, As in last year? No. This year? Not this last year. Year before last. Okay. We did a general season mule deer hunt. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Basically, we, three three buddies of, of us, hunt wild. We said, hey, let's go hunt some mule deer. So we picked a spot on a map. We said, let's do it. Um, drove there, had never been there before. Just looked at some stu- some spots on a map, grabbed Onyx, and started picking little spots we could weave through on, you know, between private land and getting on public land. Uh, I think the first spot we went was from a tip that we had from a couple old timers. And they said, hey, this is, there's always big bucks coming out of here. And at this point, I'd never killed a mule deer. So I'm like, I don't really care to kill a big buck. I just took the last pound of meat out of my bit or out of my freezer. So I just want to kill a a deer. So we get up there and we're glassing and we all kind of went on the same area, but we just went to different spots and, uh, had some elk come out, a couple does, no bucks. And we meet up with Paul and Paul's like, Oh yeah, there's a four point right over here. And at this point I'm like pretty itchy trigger finger. I just, we got four days, three guys to kill three bucks. It's like, sometimes it's nice to just knock one down. So I'm like, well, why didn't you shoot it? And he's like, I don't know. We kind of were talking about killing big bucks. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I walk over there and I look at it, put my gun up, shoot it. I'm like, there we go. There's, we're not skunked for this trip. So we packed it out. And then from there, we decided to take a different plan and go out and chase some better deer at that point and we got up high and started glassing and uh we saw a couple nice bucks you know down in some of the lower country and uh we thought we were away from every road possible at this point and uh paul we find this really really nice heavy wide buck and we're thinking man this is a good deer so we chase him and chase him and chase him and uh he was on the move pretty good Finally got a shot on him, and then at that same time, there's like a train of six quads, rangers, and everything just bombing up the hill. And we're like, huh, okay. So our deer runs over the ridge, and we just start huffing over there, like hoping they don't shoot it or try to claim it or anything like that. And we get over there, and we're talking with them, and it's like, hey, did you guys see a big buck? come over the hill and they're like well we didn't see anything and I'm like it was right in front of you and so we just kind of waited and we took a couple hours because we couldn't see the buck and 
uh, it was later that afternoon we were out there looking for him and uh, we saw him on the back of the guy's quad leaving. And he was about three quarters of a mile down the hill heading out. And we're like, oh, that's how Idaho does it, I guess. <laughs> so that's the, that was the yeah. learning part right there, you know, public land and, yeah, you know, it's tough. Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. Have you ever run, run into that before, Ryan? Um, I, I cannot recall a time where I've had that. You know, I've heard the horror stories, but I, no, I, I honestly have not. Um, that was a general rifle. General so, rifle, and they were locals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they might have killed that buck. Yeah. You know, Paul didn't put the best shot at that point. We weren't sure. Maybe they pushed him. Maybe they just ran into him. So give him benefit of the doubt, I guess. But I can't take somebody else's deer. Even yeah. if it's been shot before, you know, I'm going to go, if I run into somebody, I'm going to go find that guy and say, Hey, I found your deer. I killed it for you. If you yeah. want it, go ahead. If not, I'll tag it. Yeah. Not everybody's like that though. I've had a couple experiences, not quite like that, but seen some issues in some popular elk hunting spots where one guy shoots a deer and another guy finishes it off and it's like, who's, or shoots an elk, the other guy finishes it off and it's whose is it? And it can get ugly. That's kind I've of heard, weird. I've heard stories of people not even shooting and coming up on a dead critter and saying, this is mine. Slap a tag on it. Put a tag on it and hold the gun out in front of you and say, this is my deer or yeah. this is my elk. And it's like, mm. I like to work for my animal a little bit more than that. I've got, I've got a horrible story. I've never told this story. I don't even know if I should tell this story. Yeah, you should. That's a yes. I want to hear it. <laughs> Dude, I got to hold it's, my mic. If you guys, those stands i got from amazon.com they're not doing it for me so whatever oh, you guys need to do to feel comfortable I feel free. i got a good slouch going on right now okay. i'm almost leaning into it just rest your chin on it there's, there's, <laughs> a, there's something good about my slouch um oh man i shouldn't even have said that yeah it's an embarrassing story <laughs> to be quite honest well i was i was super young so um Oh, a long, long time ago, because I'm an old man now. This is back when I had just got my license, and uh, I was super into muzzleloader hunting back back in the day. And we had, Washington had some really good cow hunts, uh, you know, late season cow hunts with a muzzleloader. Uh, not super late, October hunts. And uh, so I was up there in my old 1985 Toyota pickup, awesome. bouncing around, trying not to... You Single know, cab or the extended bust cab? Bust up all my U joints. Yeah. It was an ex extra cab. Extra cab. Yep, extra cab. Gotcha. Um, and so uh, I was up there by myself, and and I I kind of knew this this area a little bit. Um, I'd hunted a little bit with my dad, and sort of up there just looking for a cow. And uh, I was there the night before the opener, and I'd kind of watched some, some elk down in this flat, and I was up on this ridge. And this is uh, over in eastern Washington, and this was not a backcountry hunt. This was an area where there's some folks, um, and maybe this is why I turned into a backcountry guy. I don't know, because it really <laughs> But um, so I kind of had a plan, and I was parked up on this ridge, and that morning, the, the opening morning, I got out on the edge of it, and I knew what would happen. I think uh, I figured when the shooting starts way 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 down in this flat because there was a a road an easy access road 
like a long ways off. But where I, like, I just destroyed my truck getting up to this upper ridge. The rocks were bad, you know, it's just like, just expecting to pop tires to get up there. But at least I was on the side, the top where I could look down and glass everything. Um, so lo and behold, the plan worked that morning, uh, as it got light, I heard some shots off in the distance and, you know, a lot of the elk from that entire big flat out there started heading my direction. I figured they would. And, um, some kind of came up. I was kind of parked about a hundred yards up in the yellow grass, a couple of pine trees and down below it was pretty heavy timber. And sure enough, here comes, you know, one line of cows, another line of cows, and they were heading straight up the yellow grass, up the ridge and up and over actually behind me where my truck was parked. And I was, you know, I was probably only a quarter mile from my truck. So I'm down there kind of now I, I kind of get a little bit closer to that timber line, assuming that some of these cows are going to start running back and forth on the edge of this timber before they decide to get up into this open. And geez, I would say within 45 minutes of that open in the morning, here comes a line of eight cows. And so I'm feeling pretty good. I have them come right by me. Muzzle loader this is an old Hawken traditional 54 caliber. Um, you know, open iron sights and all that. Uh, I think we shot Buffalo bullets back in the day. That was for Sabbath and all that, that was around, but, um, so lead cow comes in and I take a shot and solid hit. The cow is, um, it runs a little bit past me and it goes up, I don't know, maybe another 40 yards beyond me and it's staggering. And so I'm re quickly, as fast as you can reload a muzzleloader, I'm pulling out my lightning loads and reloading this sucker up. I'm just going to, you know, in case I have to, put another shot. And uh, so I'm standing there um, reloading, like I said, and right past me, right in front of me, these guys take a shot at that cow that's basically stumbling. And they shot right past me. I mean, I was, I was just probably 20 feet out of their line of fire. And they shot right past me. Could they see you? Did you, did they oh, know yeah. you were there? I was in the wide open. I was okay. in the yellow grass. No doubt about it, they saw me. And so um I'm like, what the heck? You know, and I can't I can't even remember if I finished loading my muzzle loader. Uh I don't remember that. But I run over to my cow and I'm standing there. And it was these three guys. And I was a kid, I was 16 years old. And these guys, you know, in my mind at 16, they're just old, old guys probably in their thirties. And, um, and yeah, I, I stood over my cow and I knew, I knew the rules. I knew whoever put the first tag on it kind of is the, he claims it, right. It's a cruddy deal, but I know it happened. And I had no experience back then as I was just a, you know, brand new big game hunter. Well, so, um, we start arguing like, Hey, guy, this is my my elk. You know, this is my cow. I, you know, I shot that cow. You know, she was, blah blah blah. And they said, "Well, we finished it off. We're putting the tag on it." And um, so I was, I wouldn't say cocky, but I basically let them know that no, this is this is mine, and I'm putting the tag on this thing. So I'm kneeled down right next to this thing, and so they come up, and it goes to blows, like we get in a big old scrap. And Three I guys got, against one 16-year-old. Wait, well, who, I, got, who, I hope these guys listen to this one day. <laughs> yeah. I got knocked out. Who threw the first punch? They did. 
Okay. Yeah, the guy behind me he hit me right in the temple. I mean, I had the giant bruise right on the side of my head. And holy I'm a, crap! Well, probably not from that that first punch, but because um, I fought for a little bit. But man, I'm just this scrawny little. I don't even know what I weighed when I was 16. It was, it was not very much. But uh, you know, I got kicked because they got me down pretty easily, and I got kicked in the head. And so I Are had bumps and bruises. And they just Holy knocked cow. knocked me out. And um, so this old guy up on the hill, he was up on the ridge by my truck looking down and he saw the whole thing. So he came he came bebopping down the down the hill. And um, you know, these guys, there was a road in that timber not very far that I didn't know not even no idea it even existed. And these guys grabbed that elk and drug it and drug it and drug it. Well, I came to, and I'm sitting there, and this old guy comes down, and he's he's telling me what happened, and he's not knowing what to do, and this and that, and um, you know, this is pre. I didn't have a cell phone. This is, I don't even know what year that was, but um, there were no cell phones back there, so I had to. I ended up. Um, I didn't go in the direction that they drug it. I went back up to my rig. I went to town, town of Yakima. And I ended up calling my dad and telling him, you know, what had happened. Of course, he was all pissed off and, and this and that. But, um, yeah, that was one of the craziest experiences I've ever had. It was, a, it was an ugly deal. And, and for a long while, I just thought elk hunters are a-holes. Like, you know, I had hunted deer and I had hunted birds a lot. But I just assumed, man, these elk hunters, I remember saying it, these elk hunters are a different breed. And yeah, it was a, it was a pretty messed up situation for a 16 year old, but I've done some duck hunting in Easter Washington and the guys were like, are you from the West side or are you from the East side? And you tell them you're coasty to them. Yeah. And they're like, well, you can shoot our ducks, but you better not come try to kill our elk. And it's like, oh, yeah. they, they have it. There's <laughs> something about it. They're protective, even though it's the state of Washington, you know, yeah. we all live in Washington, but yeah. Uh, yeah, they're protective. Hmm. Ryan, freaky. do you still remember those guys' faces? Oh yeah, I I gave good description to my dad because he wanted to come over and you know track them down. So, um, yeah, drove drove around a lot at night looking at camps and uh, trying to trying to find the guys, but they obviously they ducked out of there. They knew it was a big deal. So, man, I could not imagine if my son, who's fourteen now, in a couple of years, just got the Knocked crap out. beat out of him by, by some, some older guy. Yeah. What, yeah, scary. what the hell? Yeah. I'd come unglued. I would be pissed. Yep. Huh? Yep. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, I think that sealed the deal for me. I got away from roads and quads and that's when it all started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say that now, but, um, you know what? There was there'd probably something to be said about that for sure. Hunting around people. Did you go right back to hunting elk the next year? Uh yeah, yeah, I'm sure I did. Yeah. Um but that that just happened to be one of the hunts that um it was really high success, you know. And uh I'd been successful with my dad up on that hunt. And that hunt didn't last too many years after that, but it's just a lot of people and this yeah, it was a mess. Yeah, a lot of people don't think of elk, elk hunting when they think of Washington state. Yeah. I mean, there are a few hunts in that state that are crazy, crazy with elk 
yeah. Hunt and elk hunters. You know what I mean? Right. Like, there's some pretty well-known ones. And it's just like, man, you talk about the pumpkin patch during rifle season. Yeah. Holy cow. But it has yeah. a lot of elk too. Yeah. <laughs> there's we, a lot of animals. We got some good, uh, you know, we still kind of hold that average like other states do with 10% on average. You know, that's cow and bull for most hunts. But um, yeah, 10% is pretty good odds, really. That's pretty typical for Washington. It always has been that way. Doesn't really go up or down a whole lot hmm. for over the counter stuff. Kind of a sleeper state for big bulls in certain areas too. Oh, we got some monsters in the state. I know. We probably shouldn't say it, but <laughs> man, there are some big bulls in Washington. They're just yeah, you just gotta find them and yeah, they're yeah, needle in a haystack, but they're definitely there for sure. So now we've got we've got some good country and. But, you know, we got we got some people as well, and elk hunting is definitely a lot different than um, my true love, which is mule deer hunting. So a little bit harder to get away on the elk than it is for the mule deer. Yeah, there's a lot of mountains and a lot of, lot of country to cover that holds mule deer in Washington that doesn't hold elk. Yeah, easy to get away from people for mule deer. Yeah. yeah. Where do you hunt elk, Jeff, roughly? Are you west side or east side? Yeah, or I'm a west side guy. Um I don't know how much you can give away without. Then don't give any yeah. away. <laughs> Just yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, there's a big rock. Some, <laughs> there's a big rock timber. and some grass and some timber, and <laughs> more timber, and it's really wet. It's a bedding area. Yeah, but not. I mean, I'm on the cusp west side, east side. Have you hunted both sides? I've never hunted the east side. Oh, okay. Mm-mm, but I did draw multi season this year. Oh, cool. What are your plans? Oh, hmm. Hopefully draw a tag with very little points, but that's probably not going to happen for Washington. So it's kind of nice though, because it takes the stress off of trying to coordinate uh, hunting the rut or close to it, you know, plus trying to go to other states. So now it's like, okay, there's a little bit of freedom there where I can not have to be home for archery season and I can hunt muzzleloader season instead or put in for east side tag and still hunt the west side. So that's the biggest part for us in Washington. It's like, if you put in for an east side tag, you have to hunt the east side. And I don't want to go shoot a cow or spike. I'd rather hunt bulls on the west side. If you don't draw. If you don't draw, but yeah. you can't, you have to pick one in Washington. It's weird how it's set up, but. Yep. Yeah, it makes that multi-season tag really, it's really. very sought after. I mean, yeah. it's not an easy tag very, to draw either. Yeah, very advantageous just because of that west side, east side yeah. thing for sure. The odds are so low on the east side to draw a tag. There are some open units, but yeah, there's a lot of archery. over the counter stuff yeah. that holds elk. Yeah. I mean, both sides, but you know, you took that multi right from me. I did. I have 10 years <laughs> right. of putting in 10 for that. points. I had four. I've never Ooh. drawn the multi for elk, but I draw deer every year. Yeah, you've drawn some pretty good tags over the years, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, the multi is different. Not I don't know any other states that have the multi-season oh, draw. All that is is, you know, you put in for it, and that allows you to hunt archery with the archery guys. Right into Muzzy if you're not successful, and then right into November, and then late archery if you want to. Yeah. Or late muzzleloader. It does we force do. you to pay three times as much. Yes. <laughs> I think that's the <laughs> that's why the state <laughs> that's does it. That's the trick. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, but I'll take it every time. How did you draw Nevada two times in a row, Ryan? Oh, just that's just karma. <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> no uh, the rest of the year. I just treat people so well. Um <laughs> I don't know. I got real lucky. And I, I 
I didn't think I would draw that second year for sure. And looking back on my first year now, I really shouldn't have drawn that first year either. How many points did you have going into that? Uh, three. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 And it's a, I thought that was an easier draw back then, but you know, now I, I'm paying attention to all the go hunt stats and eh, it's a tough tag to get, tougher tag to get. Mm-hmm. Not the hardest, but still Even the tag you somewhat. drew in the second year was not yeah. really a zero point unit. I mean, no. it was a couple. But yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm way ahead of the game. I probably won't draw for eight, nine years now. I don't know. That's pretty hopefully, sweet, though. Hopefully that's not the case. Yeah, but what a good year to draw a tag. I know. That was, in fact, I was telling Jeff this prior to us putting in, I think, talking about, you know, all the water we had, and it's a desert unit. It's like the perfect year to draw one of those desert tags, and antler growth's going to be good and all that. And yeah, it didn't disappoint by any stretch. Holy cow. So just when I came out with the Alaska DIY podcast, the first episode was you and I um, sitting down over a year ago at your place. And we talked, we got to hear the story of the 2016 Nevada mule deer hunt, right? So this is, so that was the first year you drew. Yes. And then last year, 2017, you drew with, you went in with zero points. Right. Right. Cause you had just drawn. So you were down to zero and then you went in and you drew a different unit or the same unit, different unit, different unit. Yep. And then went back and just killed an awesome buck. It was like two studs a, back to back in Nevada. Yeah. And totally different bucks too. Yeah. Like that 16 buck was, he was really wide, you know, he's just over 30 inches and you know, good time length, but he hadn't, he didn't have a mass like this second one did does. The second one is not, ridiculous wide or anything like that he's just the heaviest dang buck you've ever seen so I mean, if you had to pick one and they were standing side <laughs> by side do you take the wide with time length or do you take mass i take that mass all day long yeah now I, that one is just super cool he's he's a little bit trashy he's got a kicker he's heavy and he's not just like a heavy buck he's heavy all the way up yeah and all the way down and like his, the tops of his backs I remember seeing they're them like pop cans up there. It's, <laughs> it's just, ridiculous. Some of those tines are just so heavy, and they're, you know, you feel kind of under because he was full velvet, mm-hmm. um, and you feel under there. And what that buck would look like when he started, you know, uh, polishing up those antlers, he was bladed out. Like all those tines are, they got blades, that's so awesome. they're they're flat on one side. Was he drier? And he was totally dry. That's okay. that's one thing that was super cool. So I didn't have to push any blood out. Cool. Um, you know, it was like the perfect day to shoot that buck. Yeah. Just in case somebody like is not sure what we're talking about. You're talking about the velvet on the antlers drying out, um, just before they start to, to shed that velvet. Right. Yeah. So, you know, a couple few days prior to me shooting him, he probably still had some blood in his veins. And, you know, most of the time when we shoot these velvet bucks, they're a little bit wet like that. And so, it's a struggle to kind of keep that velvet nice and pretty. You know, you can just kind of peel it off or grab it, grab it, and and it'll come right off. And, when it's uh, wet. When it's wet. Okay. And then usually, you know, right when it's dry, they start kind of working their way into some timber and and scraping that stuff up. And uh, you know, they can have that completely wiped clean in a day. So um, no, nope, I just shot him on the perfect day, and it was perfect. Not he had no peels or anything and it was totally dry 
Were so. you able to like apply anything that you had learned? I know it was, so it was a different unit, but from the 2016 hunt to the 2017 hunt in Nevada, because remember you talking, uh, when you were telling the story about the 2016 hunt, that was your, wasn't that your first time hunting in Nevada from you right. there? Yeah. Yeah. First year. Um, and I'm not a desert Mueller hunter by any stretch, but that first time down there, I mean, that, that got me hooked. I, I loved it. I, I mean, I, it's not too hard to fall in love with Nevada if you're, you know, just a mule deer addict. So, um, yeah, it, it is way different than what we hunt here in Washington for muleys. And even way, I mean, completely night and day different than, you know, the only other experience I have hunting in a kind of a semi-desert like that is eastern Montana. And we hunt those every year, but it that's kind of coolie country. And Nevada is more high desert. So it's, you know, you got a lot of quakies and, you know, you got those aspens, you got the sagebrush at the top of the mountain, like 10,000 plus feet. So, um, water is huge and yeah, it's just night and day from, from that country versus what we look at here in Washington, where we're at Alpine basins, there's water in every single basin. It's water is never even on your mind here in Washington. We're in Nevada and I would imagine most desert states, it's, it's like one thing you should be thinking about. Yeah. So even though you're saying it, like calling it a desert hunt, you're hunting the mountains, like you're up high elevation, right? Right. So it's not like the valley floor type desert. It's not. No, yeah. they call it high desert. And, and it's, it's interesting because it's still wide open. You know, mm. you still hear the hit these vast giant meadows of sagebrush and things that you kind of associate with down in the bottoms. You know, I, I look at There's it as cactus at 10,000 feet. Yeah. Yep. Really? Yeah. Well, Lots of them. Mm-hmm. I've sat on plenty <laughs> in Nevada. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of feels like you're down on the valley floor, but you're over 10,000 feet in places. So is it, is it steep at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. There's still rims and there's still, you know, rims and valleys and peaks and, but then there's like sagebrush flats and kind of, uh, just completely different topography and a lot of quakies and, and whatnot, which, you know, quakies are kind of good and bad deer hide in there very easily and they're hard to pick up. Um, but you know, what I found down there and, um, is the short quakies, the deer love bedding in those things because there's like food at eye level. And short quakies like short quakies like, like immature yeah, young immature. trees yep okay. in these big shoots where you know the trees have been wiped out um i'm assuming kind of like an avalanche field um but yeah it, that was that little what me recognizing the quakies and the value that they have and those mule they're just loving them and kind of staying in those um kind of shoots with the short quakies that's how i got that last that prior buck that 2016 buck was um i saw him the, actually the first night I was in there and yeah, he, uh, he was living in those quakies and he bedded in those quakies and he had everything he needed right there. So, but that was, uh, that was the two years ago, but yeah, I remember you talking about that and seeing a monster yep. in the quakies yep. that you didn't go after. Cause if I remember right, you thought the, you know, the odds would have been really, really low to get in on him in the, yeah, I, well, then he put himself in a, in a much better spot. And he bedded oh. in a better spot and I did go after him and I got really close. Um, but he had a quakey in his vitals when I, I finally got up on him. And so, um, you know, that buck disappeared for another six days and 
before I got back to them and took them out of that exact same valley oh, okay. amongst those short quakies. Huh. So. So then what, what was your mindset going into the 20, 2017 hunt? I wanted an identical hunt. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to play out the exact same way. Um, so putting in for the unit that I did, I, I had kind of seen somewhat of that unit um, coming back from the prior year. And it looked great. It looked semi-similar, a um, little bit sharper in places, and but still geographically not that far away. And so I kind of knew what the country had to offer. But, um, you know, talking to people, not the highest deer density in the world, um, but it's still a possibility of some good bucks. So there was a few different ranges in this, in this draw. And, and I kind of, I drove around. See, Nevada's cool because it's got these ranges. And basically, you can drive all the way around this thing and look up into these ranges, like these north-south ranges. And uh, it's pretty unique. And Nevada's just full of them. You look on a map. And there's this north-south ridges going everywhere. And so I did, I drove around um, the unit completely just to get kind of a a good layout, a good gist of what it looked like. And again, where people are and whatnot. And um, originally where I started, I found some really good looking country that I'd been looking at on a map. Well, really good country, but there was also guys camp there and um happened to be some guys that i had known from train to hunt and they were there and that was kind of the spot that they had picked out and they'd seen some bucks so i just kind of boogied out of that spot and went to the next place that i'd kind of looked at on the map and realized that you know that was a better spot as far as no vehicles you know and um pretty dang steep tough to get up onto so um that was appealing and that's kind of how i decided on the spot i went to and I was not that far from old Jeff Lusk over here. Yeah. On we were eight, him and the rest eight, of Hunt Wild were just yeah, north. Yeah, eight, nine miles north of you. Yeah. Really? So yeah. you guys drew Nevada tags as well? Yeah, we actually didn't know we put in for the same unit. Um, we kind of keyed in on this unit thinking we could all draw it with no points or one point possibly. And uh, coming back from a bear hunt in Idaho, I was talking to Ryan and he's like, oh, I drew a Nevada tag and... I was like, oh, cool, we'll check. And we checked, and we're like, yeah, we drew one too. And he's like, oh, where are you heading? And I told him, and he's like, that's kind of the unit I'm going to. <laughs> and so then we're like, oh, great, stealthy hunters going to the same unit uh, we are. <laughs> so, yeah, it was cool, though, to uh, not only to, you know, kind of emphasize that our mapping and scouting was good, but now it's like, okay, now we get to put ourselves up against him see where we stack up, see how we can find deer versus what he finds. Um, and as a group, you know, we are pretty new to mule deer hunting, especially doing it in high country. You know, it's more been like higher success, not as much hiking. And so then it's like, okay, we're going to do it one way and one way only. We're not going to shoot anything low. We're going up to the top. We're doing it exactly how we want to do it. And if we don't, we're not killing it any other way. And, uh, it all played out last day. And the reason you say that is because, um, I imagine, is there's there's some good bucks down low well, around saw, the roads and in the ag fields. Yeah. I mean, it, they're bouncing a lot from of them. private to public and good, solid, you know, 
bucks that we would have been happy shooting because we did that. We scouted from the bottom for two days to figure out where we could go in, where there was no people. How high? I'm trying to imagine this because when I think of mountains in Idaho or Washington or Alaska, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's like you don't drive around a range and glass from the bottom and scout from the bottom. It's like there's mountains and then behind that there's mountains and behind that there's mountains. and There's a lot of hidden stuff you can't see. And we, okay. we realized yeah. that as soon as we started hiking. I mean, you can see some of the bigger basins or big sage flats, but you can't tell what's what. And there's a Folds lot of deer hiding up there. I mean, there's a lot of little knife ridges where, you know, we could see them on the map. So we knew that there was a lot of hidden stuff up there where big bucks could be hiding. So. Gotcha. But you yeah. can still glass from the roads, like on the, like the alfalfa fields and that kind of thing. Oh is yeah. That, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah there's, yeah. there's ag fields down in the bottoms, which is, I think the case when in a lot of Nevada. A I'm lot guessing. of Nevada. But yeah, it's interesting because you're basically in ag fields or antelope country. Oh yeah. And you're kind of, you can kind of sit at your truck and look at the country you're heading up into. Really? Uh, huh. You just, you can kind of get the gist for it and say, well, okay, so that's pretty timber there and that's a little more open there. And, you know, not that that is the way to hunt it, but it kind of opens up to that's what the country is going to look like when I get up there. For us, it took away the factor of like, well, I wonder what our third spot would look like when it's 20 miles away. Yep. We covered the ground and we said, that's not what we want. That doesn't look like where deer should be. And you know, kind of peace of mind in a, in a way like, oh, should we, should we abandon ship and go there and ditch five days of hunting because there's only 16 bucks here and none of them are that big? Or do we stick it out and do we play it out and go for it? So that's kind of a lot of peace of mind. We stuck all our eggs in a basket after that and we stayed in one spot. Yeah, I get that because, uh, you know, sometimes in new country, if you haven't driven around everywhere and kind of looked at everything, when you're up there and like you haven't seen anything for half a day or a day or two, you start thinking, man, am I in the completely wrong spot? I should leave? I, should I go back down and now drive around and look at these other X's I had? So when you look at it from the road, um, or from the bottom, you know, now you kind of know, well, I've seen everything and this looked best to me from down there. So yeah, it's really unique. Cause I, I cannot think of doing that in any place in Washington where I've hunted or yeah. Montana. I'm kind of wrapping, trying to wrap my head around what that must be like. So you're saying basically you like Jeff, you're talking about picking some spots on a map, sitting at home, doing your research and Google earth and that kind of stuff. And then going down and just driving around and glassing up into the mountains and checking those spots. Yeah. And we didn't know we could do that originally. I mean, we knew that there was a road that drove the whole range, but you don't, I guess you don't know until you see it. Sure. And it's kind of funny, even the spot that Ryan went on a map, I thought it looked really great. When I looked at it in person, I was like, oh, I don't know. But then after seeing what he could do out of that, it's like, okay, it's another tip on where mill deer live. You so, might not think what's right, or you, what you might not think is right is right for big big bucks. Gotcha. So you checked out the spot that he was hunting. Not on foot, but yeah, it was From it was like road. one of my top places just because it was one of the highest spots. Gotcha. Get high, big bucks, you know. Yeah. And uh, when I looked at it though, I was like, oh, I don't know, because not hunting mule deer for a long time, what you have in your head isn't what the deer think. 
So sure. You got to go where the deer are, not where you want them to be. Yeah, but your game plan going into it was do the map work, get down there, hike and get as high as possible. Then you found out you could kind of drive around and check them, yeah. so that's what you guys did. Mm-hmm. Man, that's fascinating. I guess I've done something kind of similar to that um, in canyon country where there were roads on either side of big canyons and it was open country and I could drive one side of the canyon, even though it might've taken me two hours or three hours to drive all the way around to the area where I was going to hunt just to glass across and look into the folds and stuff of that canyon and scout. But were you guys doing it? Were you both doing that driving around and glassing during, after the season had opened? Yes. Yep. Dude, I remember you saying that Ryan, um, last time we talked about your Idaho elk hunt. Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of stuck yeah, with me. Like, that's a cool We kind of tip. told that story. Yeah. yeah. I didn't show up on the opener. I kind of showed up a little after the fact. And but it worked to your advantage. It did, because I know exactly where guys were hunting, um, you know, where there'd be outfitters and and where um, not to go, you know, where I, I can be, you know, kind of rest assured that I'm not going to be up there and have uh, a bunch of animals that have been pushed around. Um, I think I mentioned on that, that initial podcast that, you know, it, it just seems so much easier, makes more sense to me that uh, hunt lesser animals that haven't been chased around, molested in any way than areas of high density, but people, you know, their presence of people. Uh, I would much take the less dense density areas every time. Yeah, if you've ever stalked an animal that's been pushed in the week prior versus an animal that hasn't been pushed all season. Oh right. my gosh. The difference is yep, unreal. Yeah. Yep. So yep. how, how did you pick that area in Nevada that you decided on where you took that buck? You, cause you were talking about, you were doing your drive around thing, right? Yeah, I did. Yep. And, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, you're never a hundred percent sure this is the spot, but, um, with nobody there in the, the country and how it looks not similar to Jeff, you know, obviously we'd done our e-scouting a lot and kind of picked these things apart. Every every mountain range in these units apart um, on Google Maps and, and whatnot. So, you know, I had a good idea. But like I mentioned, you just don't know until you get there and you see the trailhead or you see, you know, the pullouts or where people can get into it. And that's the big question mark every time. So... This spot just made sense to me because, like Jeff said, it was way up. It was kind of top of the hill type thing. It had really good steeps. Um, access was pretty limited. And there was folds that guys could not see from any ranger, any quad, any truck, and a lot of them, um, especially on the backside of this mountain. So it just kind of looked good. It made sense. And there was also that kind of topography where – uh, big boulders and areas where, you know, that early season, if you do get some bucks spotted, probably going to bed in a spot that you'll have the ability to at least get up onto them. So that all looked good to me and that, um, it just worked out. It's like you put a game plan together like that. And, um, you know, Jeff and I are planning a hunt right now. And so we're pouring over maps and, um, and that's one of the things that, that I really key into the most is finding those, 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 those ranges and and those peaks and those ridges and the, and the, um, canyons where if you're going to have bucks, you know, summering there, um, 
is it going to be an area where you're just looking at them or is it going to be an area where you get to watch them bed down and you got a stockable buck? I would take those every time. And again, with lesser, you know, I'd rather hunt lesser, uh, in a bouldery, big boulder fields, you know, mahogany scrub, whatever rims over, you know, 10 times the deer in flats and open, um, scree fields where you just most likely you're not going to get a stock. Those are just frustrating because you, you may watch a buck all day long and you just, or two days or however long, and they just never put themselves in a stockable spot. Just because they can see so much country, there's yeah. no cover? Yep, no so cover. That, okay, so the boulders, that's why you're seeing you like those boulder fields. Yep. It's because they're, it breaks up the topography. Boulders, rims, knife yeah. edges. That's where our experience, like looking at maps on stuff like that, we didn't take into account stalking with a bow or hiding where the bed your deer is going to bed. We just looked at like it's green. There's a lot of food. It's up high. Got to be deer. Sure, there was deer, but some of those stalks, man, not easy. You know, you're dropping 200 yards in open country, nothing to hide behind besides you know two feet of grass. It's mm-hmm. kind of tough. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Without the folds, boy, with the bow with a bow in your hand, it's tough to have to do anything but sit back and watch them (laughs) i've done some belly crawling in washington in like a foot of grass of stalking elk and i was i've been kind of surprised how the elk seem they're not i don't know i felt like the muleys were way more apt to spot you and blow out than elk elk seemed a little easier and i don't know if it was that was specific those specific elk in that area but those muleys are cagey yeah, they are. I think they are. I think they're, that's why I like them so much is they're just, especially those, you know, those summertime, late summertime bucks, you know, they're at, usually at the top and the open and cat you know, country, either it's above timberline and that's it. It's the cats, mm-hmm. you know, they're having to fend themselves off from, from these mountain lions year round. And, uh, and so, yeah, they strategically place themselves in areas where they can see everything coming and they got the wind right. And so that's the ultimate challenge. For sure, for me, it's, especially with a bow in your hand, it's sometimes it seems impossible. But when you have the topography right, um, that just makes all the difference in the world. So, when did you find that buck? What was that like? This last year, in yeah, Nevada. yeah. Um, when did I find him? Uh, I found him kind early. Of, yeah, <laughs> it, that hunt did not. I, yeah. This is not like this was a hunt that lasted 10 days and I got him on the last day by any stretch. I, uh, I was shocked at how short this hunt was, to be quite honest. Um, I put in a few days. I can't quite remember exactly how many days I hunted. It was hunted. within the first three you found him, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it was probably yeah, day three. And then, um, yeah, and then I found him and um, I did not kill him that first night, but I did get him on the next day. So... So halfway, halfway through your hunt, yeah, roughly. Yep. Yeah, I, had, I think I had. Well, I always leave it open ended, but I always like to say seven to ten days. But uh, I would have made two weeks happen if need be for sure. So, did yeah. you know right away when you, as soon as you spotted him, that you were going after him? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when you get a buck that's that heavy in velvet too, uh, and you just see that in a bed under a, uh, you know, a juniper, it's like, holy smokes. There's no doubt in your mind. 
I don't need a big fancy 85 mil, you know, objective spotting scope. You throw the glass up on a buck like that and, you know, immediately, you know, you better start making a play to try to get on one like that. You just, that's a once in a lifetime deer. So will you, on a buck like that, will you sit and wait on it till the time is right? Or is that something if, I guess conditions are probably going to play an effect as far as people, but if you think you have that buck all to yourself, yeah. How many days are you willing to wait on that deer until you stock? And that's a good question. That's hard to describe because uh, in Washington, I, a lot of the areas, I am pretty much 99.9% positive I'm not going to see another guy. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a guy watching this buck. Um, just on how the terrain looks and how it lays out. Now, in states that I haven't hunted or areas like we were in down in Nevada, I can't be a hundred percent sure, you know, that somebody else couldn't get in on that buck. Um, so yeah, I would say there's probably a little more rush to it, just not knowing it. And, uh, you know, it's more open country. So you just expect more guys are going to be able to see. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, a little bit more of a hurry, but still, uh, I was not going to go in reckless and just make any mistakes just yeah. to try to get on him fast. So, Cause you did stalk him once and backed out, right? Yeah. That first night I, I got to within 150 yards and I made the decision to, once the thermals got a little bit iffy and they started to drop back down that evening. Now I could have made the decision. I was wrestling with it, whether I cut back up and over the ridge and drop down and get below that buck and try to let him feed down to me possibly. But I made the call to just back out completely Mm -hmm. and not even risk it whatsoever. And then go back to my tent and just pray in my tent all night that he was going to still be in that (laughs) basin. So, um, but that's, yeah, I got lucky. And, uh, but I'll tell you, it took me a while to pick up that buck the next day. Yeah. It's not like he was right out in the open where I could see him. So it took a while. I had to switch uh, vantage points a couple times to finally pick him up. And, and then he ended up back in the same bed that he was in really? the day before. What so. time of day did he bed down there? Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly because I, I obviously I focused my attention on the spot where I saw him the night before. And, uh, I looked high and low and I was looking right into that bed. Well, he wasn't there. So my worry is, well, he, he jumped a Canyon over on me. So I went and I'd look in that Canyon and then nothing. So, and then I got a different, completely different vantage point into that Canyon. And I, you know, I picked him up and when I picked him up, he was back in that bed. I don't know how he got back there or where he was or why I didn't pick him up before. Obviously he was just in some, some of the trees that I just could not pick him up my initial glassing session. But, um, fortunately he went back to that same bed and put himself in a spot where, you know, from that angle where I was on that rim, I could see him real easy. So was that in the early in the morning when you finally, when he saw him in the bed, when you spotted him? Mm-mm. No, I was late. Oh, okay. it, was, it was a few hours into the day. You know, it wasn't early by any stretch. So the thermals, were they going back up again and sun was on the mountain? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did yep. you go after him right away? Yeah, I did. I, and I was on the complete opposite end of this Canyon. So I had to, what I had done the prior prior night was go up to the top, go up and over, cut over and go down 
And I, I ended up taking basically the exact same approach that I had taken the night before. But the night before, I just ran out of time. I ran out of time with the thermals, so I backed out. But I took that exact same approach, um, you know, that next day. And again, I got pretty close, 150 yards, uh, a little bit closer than that. And um, yeah, a storm came in. So I had mm. dropped my pack on the top, taken off my shoes, put on my my uh, hippy dippy five fingers with the socks over the top of them. Cause there's cactus in that country and um, going barefoot is crazy. So, uh, got down in there, wind started picking up, rain started coming in and I'm thinking, well, I just made a rookie move cause I left all my pack open up on top. My shoes are up there. Everything's going to get completely soaked. So, you know, again, I was wrestling with that decision. Well, do I just screw it? I'm going to go for this buck now during the wind when the wind is breaking up my sound or I go back up and uh, bag up my stuff with my contractor bag and, and keep it dry and then make another stock. I decided to back out, go back up to the top and ride out that storm. Lightning came in and I had to duck down off the other side and go down the hill. And dude, I am not taking any risks in Nevada and in those peaks with lightning because the year before, I'm, I probably talked about this with you on our last podcast, but I was 30 yards from getting hit by that bolt. I can't remember. I kind of think that we talked about it off the mic. No, was it? I could have been. Uh, I think so. Well, I don't year, know if you mentioned it. The year before, I was up on this ridge, and there was a couple of boulders. And, I, you know, I saw the storm coming in. And, uh, you know, I was kind of laying under this boulder and, you know, whatever, and not really thinking about it. Well, it started throwing down some some, you know, thunder and lightning. And so what I should have done is headed straight down the mountain, but I didn't, I kind of cut, I grabbed, picked up my bow and I started heading down the ridge, but it was a much slower approach to drop an elevation than just heading straight down the mountain. And I took a few steps and right where I was watching straight ahead of me, 30 yards, a lightning bolt just explodes on this big old boulder. So, I pretty much did a pirouette in the <laughs> air, set my bow down because I didn't want that aluminum riser bow in my hand. And, um, I just blasted down a long way down into some quakies and I put my contractor bag over my head and just waited out that storm. But I was shaking for a while because that scared the crud out of me. I mean, that was way too close. Yeah. Because I was higher than that rock and yeah. I'm trying to figure oh out how gosh. I didn't get struck. So this year, you know, this, this time I didn't take any chances and I booked down and got off of that top for that storm to come through. So once it laid down, I came back up and, uh, relocated that buck in that same bed and took that exact same approach that I had taken two times prior. So I knew this approach real well. It was right on the ridge and, uh, I got down in there and it took me a while and I got to within 43 yards of that buck. But it was not a shot that I could take in his bed. Just was not a good shot. So I waited for two hours before that buck stood up. So, you know, that's one of those things that this is kind of mind numbing when you're just sitting there. You're kind of like all jacked up. 
you got this monster buck in front of you and you, but you have to be like at the ready at all times because he could get up and take a step left and you just blew your chance. Mm -hmm. That was like your one shot. So you got to be, you know, basically focused for every second uh, for that buck to stand up. And luckily he stood up and he stood right. He, he took a couple steps right. And, uh, yeah, I got that perfect shot on him, 43 yards. So worked out. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's, I mean, I couldn't imagine coming to f full draw on a buck like that up in the high country. Mm -hmm. I have, uh, I have not done that yet. That's something like, you know, we were just talking before we turned the mics on about moving to, I, you know, just, I just moved to Alaska with my family and it's so exciting to get residency up there and all the different critters we can hunt. And I still, I still find myself thinking like, oh, I got to figure out how to go back and squeeze in an elk hunt and a high country <laughs> mule deer hunt, you know? And, oh my gosh. So you guys yeah. talking about planning a hunt this year together. There's a part of me that's like, hmm, maybe not this year, <laughs> but I'm going to have to figure out how to squeeze in a trip back to the lower 48 for some high country mule deer. Yeah, it, man, there's something about high country mule deer with bow early season. Yeah, it's just hard to beat. I mean, the challenge of it is crazy. You know, the country you're in is unbelievable. It doesn't get any better. And uh, getting to watch bachelor groups of bucks walk around and try to figure out how you're going to negotiate getting in tight on one is, that's like the ultimate challenge in my book. I know a lot of guys love elk hunting and elk hunting's a blast, but something about elk, uh, mule deer hunting that just, man, that's the best. I think you're a sheep hunter. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a sheep oh, hunter. Oh man, I don't. I don't want to get that bug. I've got the mule deer bug going on. Sounds so. expensive. It <laughs> does. Yeah, blue collar is mule deer for blue collar guys. I think. Yep. No, it is. That's what I love about high country mule deer hunting alpine, above the timber line. Yeah. You know, um, hunting mule deer is like it's. It feels in so many ways. It feels like a sheep hunt. Yeah. Yeah, yep. but anybody can grab an over-the-counter tag in a lot of states and go out and do it. Yeah. And that's a cool thing. Yep. Park yeah, the truck and, and start hiking. So many places you can do that on $1,000. Yeah. And out of state. Yeah. You know, great over-the-counter hunts for under $1,000. Well under $1,000. So, yeah. So, so, and you guys are planning a mule deer hunt for this year, like 2018? Yep. 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 We are, we finally took the plunge and we're heading to Colorado, so... Yep, that's where we're that's where we're looking. Finally, I've never hunted mule deer for my own tag in the high country. Oh, so that Nevada hunt that you were talking about—that was with uh, somebody was, else. Was a buddy of mine drew that tag. We both yeah. put in for it, but he he drew. So that was like the icebreaker for me, and just being up there in that country, man, it's like every view you could think of and want to know. Like that's that's where it's at, and so when you do get to experience it, it's like okay, this is it. Now this year having my own tag, it's like the nerves are going to be way higher. Yeah, but you got you got some serious karma coming your way, man, because you've helped guys. You helped, you know, Paul on that tag. Yeah. Took a lot of time off and spent a lot yeah. of days up there. So Nine days. You're due. Yep. Yeah. Well, and you guys have hunted together in the past, right? I remember seeing one of your big eastern Montana bucks, and I think Jeff was on that trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Was yeah. that two years ago? That was yeah. in that was 16. 16. That okay. Was the same year as that first Nevada trip. Oh, okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we, that was the first time we'd ever hunted together. And mm -hmm. yeah, we just kind of picked some spots, public land spots on a map, 
and said, well, we're going to pick a few of them and see which one pans out. And that's what we did. And we found one that, you know, was pretty tough to get into. It wasn't like a backcountry hunt by any stretch. It was Eastern Montana. Mm-hmm. But what we had going for us there was, uh, we just got away from the roads and we backpack tripped in. I mean, we just, you know, had our tent on our back and we were just going to cruise and cruise country and stay away from people and roads. Cause most, I'd say 90% more than that, 98% mm-hmm. of the guys in Montana East side, they don't get within a half mile of those roads. A lot of them think you're crazy yeah. when you're wearing a backpack. You do like, not what see are you doing? There's backpack deer everywhere. guys in Eastern Montana. Yeah. So we took that route and it panned off. Um, we found a great heavy buck and we're able to get in on it and, uh, and got it. And that was a, yeah, a not very typical buck for Eastern Montana. It's kind of darker horned, but real heavy again, which is easy. We're finding like spindly, you wide. get wide bucks yeah. in Eastern, but not the heavier bucks like that one was. So, yeah, that looked like an awesome deer. All right. So if I can come back from Alaska, and this is just wishful thinking at this point, if I could come back and hunt any state, any season, but I didn't have a lot of time, like maybe 10 days max, including travel. Cause I got a guide, man. I got a you know, I'm like a farmer. I got to make money when, oh, <laughs> when, yeah. Yeah. when it's time, time to make money. Hunting season is like, that's when I make money. So, but anyway, if I could sneak away, what would you, if it was you in my shoes, what would you pick? What state and what season? For mm. a draw tag or over the counter? Let's say over the counter. And what are your expectations? Just get away from people. A good backcountry backpack hunt on a... It would be awesome to be able to like have the potential to find 170, 180 buck with a lot of work and but not like I'm not expecting one around every corner, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But that ta- that kind of trophy potential would be fun. That'd sure, be cool. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, those are I mean, eastern Montana, those are so few and far between over there. Especially, yeah. you know, public land stuff. I would not recommend northwest Montana because uh <laughs> yeah, there's some great bucks up there, but you may spend years trying to find a handful. Um it's that is some brutal tough country just to locate a good muley um idaho is boy it's got a lot of options but honestly over-the-counter archery stuff too yeah good units that are like draw units for rifle but over-the-counter for rifle or yeah for archery, for archery. Yeah. yeah but honestly abe i'm gonna put you in washington really yeah yeah i'm gonna put you in washington that's what i i mean i know it sounds crazy but i would go back if if I wanted to, like every year for the rest of my life, try to uh, count on getting a, just a good, solid, heavy dark horn buck, I feel better about doing that in Washington than any other state. I don't know why, but it just seems like there's a lot, there's there's great places and limited amount of time. It's over the counter, um, and not a lot of folks. So. Idaho sees a few more people, no doubt about it. There's a lot of backcountry in Washington that is not quad accessible. Most of it. Very little quad (laughs) accessible backcountry in Washington. Yeah, there's very little like motorcycle, quad, any of that access. So Man, there's a lot of, yeah. That's interesting. That's, yeah, that's cool. Yep. I'll have to chew but on that for a while. But there's not 180s everywhere either. No, there no. aren't. Uh, you have to work 160s hard for are like the 180s. A good yeah. heavy horned 160, you know, maybe not the longest times. I mean, that's kind of your 
what you're looking for in Washington, but you know, you got some nice, cool looking, dark, heavy horned racks. Yeah. So an occasional 170 pops up and whatnot, but as yeah. far as just a fun Alpine Tamarack type hunt, high country. Yeah. Washington's pretty solid. Plus you can kill a bear at the same time. That's this right. is true. <laughs> Plus I could come by and see you guys hang out. That's right. Hear some stories about more big bucks. Hold some Orion's antlers. <laughs> Drool a little bit. Oh my gosh. Cool. Hey, speaking of hunt planning, you guys, have you ever been to Alaska, Jeff? Yeah. I actually bear hunted it one time. Did you really? A long time ago, yeah. When was that? Oh, probably six, seven years ago. Went up on like a, I don't know if they call it a charted hunt where they can't help you, but they take you to spots. So like went through a transporter. There you go, transport yeah. hunt, yeah. So um, I went up there with my kid's mom and uh, trying to kill a couple bears and it's the first time I ever took a rifle hunting in like, I don't know, three or four years that I'd been hunting. And I shot a bear and never recovered it. And I was like, this is why I bow hunt. <laughs> Where was it? Um, gosh, I always forget this. I don't know why. It's just right out of the main. If I look on a map, I can find it right away. But <laughs> yeah, um, south, southeast or southwest of Alaska. Southwest. Yeah. Southwest? It was black bear hunt? Yeah. Or maybe it was. Southeast maybe? maybe was it? Southeast. Yeah. Probably southeast. Yeah. Because southwest no, would be no like Grizzlies. Bristol Bay. That yeah, would be that like. Nice. Okay. But a lot of bears up there. It's yeah. beautiful. It's different than Washington and different. Real thick, forested, yeah, yeah. wet. Kill them when you can. What time of year was that? This was in May. Okay. Yeah. They were just coming out. and Yeah. Beautiful coats. and Cool. Have you ever wanted to go back? Yeah. I want to do the. Sitka's. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Dude, you need to come I'm up. I'm a blacktail. I like. I love blacktails. Such an well, underrated got hunt. Got you hooked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can, laid it all out there. We for can you. make that happen for yeah. sure. <laughs> for sure. Just pick a date, man. I swear. Look, people. I don't know if people believe me. If you want to do it on a shoestring, you you can do it for like the cost of an out-of-state elk hunt in the Western U.S. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really can. Yeah, I don't know what's stopping us either. It's almost like there's other hunts in August too, and it's it's just a matter of coordinating the right year and saying, okay, we're not doing this hunt or this hunt. We're all going to go to Alaska because you don't want to go by yourself. No, and I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, so it's it's almost one of those things. It's like, okay, we need to find a year when two, three, four guys can all go up there. And, I mean, time away obviously is a factor. So it's like, okay, which hunts do you want to do? Which hunts can you give up this year so that's that's where i'm at with it we've been we've been talking about the last two years so hopefully by 2020 that's gonna happen yeah i'm a big fan of encouraging folks to just put it on the calendar Mm -hmm. just you know because i've done this before too and it's like i think about something and have very good intentions and want to do it and talk it with through it with buddies or family or something like that Man, until you start talking specific dates, it's not real, and it can easily get pushed back to the next year and the next year. And then it's like, you know, it's a few years later, and like, are we going to do this? Kind of like you were saying, Ryan, like, and not to say that you would give up yeah. on it, but it's like, I've seen that happen before, and I've done it myself. 
And even if it's 2020, that's not that, that's two years out. That's going to go in, in the Quick. blink of an eye, man. I would get some buddies together and just talk, start talking dates and you get them on the calendar and get them locked in. That's and then you're, you're planning on like anything in life that comes up like, wait, we were blocking that time off for that Alaska trip. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Got that in mind. And you can always be flexible. You can always move it later, but there's something about getting the, like actually talking about real dates. That yeah, that's the thing that stresses me out is what date do you put on it? Do you go late? For the rut, or yeah. do you go early, See, I like think, in August? Yeah, depends on what you want to do. The cool thing about that blacktail season, man, it's like August first to the end of November, and it's all yeah. good. Yeah. It's still a little bit different. I mean, it, obviously, the front end compared to the back end is very different. But man, there's no bad time to be up there hunting blacktails. And I'm, you know, I'm speaking about Kodiak Island. So even say like um, October, yeah, like which is kind of the the worst time mm-hmm. of year to be hunting deer, at least around our part of the woods. Yeah. How is that? It's still a good hunt. It's still good. Most of our guided blacktail hunts are in October. Okay. Cause it kind of, there's the gap there between other seasons. So we're doing sheep mm-hmm. in August, moose in September, blacktail in October, bear at the end of October and early November. And then we start sea ducks. We'll do some late season blacktail hunts too, but so October is good. Another thing that scares me is I've never been around anything besides black bears. Yeah. So how real is that up there? I mean, obviously they're there. Yeah, it's very real. Um, so yeah, I've, I I want to be careful giving advice about this. Like I always... Disclaimer alert. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Because there's nothing to worry there's about. There's nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah. It's like I <laughs> when I go out black to hunt, I don't think about bears at all. Yeah. I really don't. But... I've been fortunate enough to spend enough time on Kodiak Island and hunting bears, like weeks and weeks of hunting bears, trying to turn, trying to find one to kill and being close encounter. I mean, the first bear hunt I had on Kodiak Island as a packer, like we were stalking this bear through, um, we're going up a cut bank and making a lot of noise. And it was the last time we saw it was just on this flat bench above us. It was this big cottonwood stand. So all the, all the leaves in early spring were crackling. We're trying to climb up this cup bank. And I just thought like, oh man, we're making a lot of noise. I want, you know, you know, I, and I kind of looked up thinking like, man, I kind of something tells me like this bear might come and check us out making all this noise. And, uh, I look up and that boar is standing like 15 yards, 20 yards above us on the cup bank, looking down on us. And I can see the top of his chest and his head. And he's just looking at us just like, what is that? Huh? And I grabbed the hunter in front of me. I'm the packer, so I'm like carrying all the crap and I'm in the back. And I grabbed the hunter in front of me and I'm like, grab Walt, Walt the guide, you know, and he grabs Walt and Walt just turns around. He's 65 years old, no front teeth, tobacco farmer from t- Kentucky, choose, choose tobacco for a living. He turns around and he goes, shoot him! <laughs> <laughs> just yells. And I mean, I was just blown away. Hunter grabs his rifle. Of course, it's the scope's like cranked up to 10 or something. And oh, no. this bear is right in our lap. And it was just wild. We ended up killing the bear. But I mean, yeah. that was my first hunt on Kodiak Island. We had a bear in our lap. So oh, if you go up there and hunt Sitka's, I mean, you, do you bring pepper spray or bear I, spray or do you? I don't. I don't, you know, there's a lot of controversy on that. I don't have any experience with bear spray. I carry a rifle and I, I stay alert. Yeah. I, mean, I, I guess if you me. just, if you go up there to bow hunt, you'd want something. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Okay. So here's what I will say. The safest, the absolute safest insurance policy when you're hunting in grizzly or brown bear country 
is to hunt with someone you trust who has a rifle or a or a sidearm. Uh, I got a I got a good buddy that I've guided with in the past who got grabbed by a grizzly bear last year, and he's a I mean he is one of the most experienced bear hunters that I know. Brown bear hunters, Kodiak and interior grizzlies, you know, and he, this was an interior grizzly, and he got grabbed and it threw him and dislocated his right arm pulled it out of socket so he tried to grab his rifle couldn't pick it up he's on the ground the bear's on top of him he's kicking it off with his boots wild story man Mm. and there was nothing he he couldn't get that rifle because his arm was disabled and he had a packer with him with a rifle that walked that came up and shot that bear off of him Mm. and he said and we've guided together we've talked about this stuff together and we both have have definitely had to you know take care of bears at close range and in difficult circumstances, you know? And he was just like, dude, I, you know, it happens. He told me it happens so fast. There was just nothing yeah. he could do. And it was a wounded bear. That That's what, you know, that's where it gets scary to me is okay. wounded bears. Not scary. Definitely the risk level goes through the roof compared to just hiking around in bear country. Yeah. So, and that's what he said. And, and he's got so much experience, like, I definitely, definitely listened <laughs> to his advice on that one because he was just like, dude, I, I, going into that, you know, he was telling me I would have thought I, with a rifle I would have been fine. I could have taken care of myself. And he's like, just it just happened so fast. He got thrown arm out of socket, couldn't pick up his gun. What was he gonna do? Jeez. Luckily, that bear was just chewing on his boots and he was kicking it in the kicking it in the face and keeping it off of him. And it was staying busy, kind of chewing his boots up, and that gave the guy time to come up and shoot him. Man, that is not. It's kind of crazy to think what could have happened, you know. It's, not a solo yeah. hunter's no. uh, area. No, me. and so even in the guide, the Kodiaksika Blacktail guide that I put out, I'm just like, dude, don't come up solo. <laughs> like, just don't find some buddies. Yeah, yeah. come up. Yeah. I think you know, especially if you're on a budget, three guys total is perfect. Mm-hmm. Three guys and all your gear can jump in a beaver, be under your max weight in a beaver fly out you know but it two guys in the same beaver you're you're cutting that flight time you're you're splitting it in half instead of three ways and you know and, and splitting so it three, three ways, ways is gonna be more economical yeah and right. so i go into detail in the guide about how to do that and how to how to do it as cheap as you can certain certain things you can do um and then also you know it's flight time so you don't have to fly to the south end of the island hunt blacktails you know but it's a great place to hunt them but it's there for it can be twice as much versus yeah. flying halfway down the island, you know? Right. Uh, so there's a lot of things you can do to do it on a budget. Um, make it happen. You can totally 1500 bucks. I mean, you can have a good hunt, 2000 bucks per person. And that includes getting your meat home and everything like that. It's like, you can have an awesome hunt. Hmm. Awesome hunt. Hmm. So 2020, 2020. Yeah. Right 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 yeah. <laughs> I will say one thing about the bear thing though. If you go, Pay attention when you got a deer down. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You know, like for me, I ask, the, a lot of times I ask the hunter to keep an eye out if I'm butchering an animal, like a, like a blacktail on Kodiak and, you know. Do you recommend guys go when the salmon are, got them sucked down to the rivers? You know, that's good. I don't know, man. I just go hunting. Yeah. Like I, I as a guide, we're out in the field all fall. We don't have the luxury of picking and choosing and we sure. have great hunts all fall. It's like, yeah, there are some, and I, you know, I, I've talked about it before and I talk about it in the guide. It's like, for me, how often choosing do you see, the timing, like how often do you see a bear during the salmon run up on top of the mountain? 
well, not very often, no. but it, it just, but I see that and then somebody's going to be like, they're sure. going to be like, I'm going to yeah, hit that okay, salmon on there and be like, I saw a bear on top of the mountain <laughs> where I was trying to shoot a deer and yep. it freaked me out. And it's just like, oh Apes my gosh. they'd all be down by That's the river. That's right. One thing that I learned early on bear hunting is, and I learned this from Walt, the this old bear guide, he'd, he'd guided for over 30 years, brown bear. And uh, he was just like, man, he's like, as soon as you try to nail a bear down to like, this is what bears do. He's like, the next bear you see is going to do the opposite. You know, it's yeah. like, they just, they're so unpredictable sometimes like you'll they'll follow certain gen- general behaviors or certain habits and they'll do something completely different and yeah all bears are individuals a couple of things i will say though like when you're in thick brush or you're walking sand, like we bumped a bear on a sicko blacktail hunt this year walking down a stream that had silvers and it had some residual silvers and it was late you know but there was still some fish in it and it was a thick brushy spot and it was just like i don't know i i should probably be more careful but i just started marching <laughs> marching down the creek and we busted something out about 50 to 75 yards in front of us in the brush. And it was definitely a bear. I mean, you could just hear the yeah, rock scan. Right. There's no moose on the Island. You know, it's like, it's nothing big really other than brown bear. So anyway, mm. the hunter <laughs> freaked out on that one. And, and so we took it easy after that. We stayed out of the creek bottoms. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but, uh, when you're camping, one of the things I would be a little more concerned about is camping. bears will come into your camp and mess with stuff. So hang your food. You know, and we take, we go down to the marina store or the marine supply store and get Ganyan, which is just like a super tough, stiff cord. I think it's a nylon cord. I could be wrong. Um, just a really high quality cord. And that stuff is awesome for hanging um, food. So we'll grab the contractor bags that we all carry in our packs to keep mm-hmm. crap dry. And I and, uh, always carry several of those. We'll bag up our food, tie it off real good, throw, throw the Ganyan cord over a limb of a cottonwood tree and yank that stuff up 10 feet, you know, right, and right. then your, then your food's up. And if you have meat hanging away from camp, get it, away, you know, uh, you know, get yeah. it away from camp, Yeah, get it downwind to camp or off to the side or something like that. If you got a prevailing wind, so they don't come through camp following the scent trail or what, you know, but, um, have you ever done anything with those electric fences? I w- that's the next thing I was going to get to. Those things work. Yeah. Little portable ones. Yeah. You can make them or you can buy them. They're like little garden fences and they run off of D batteries. Usually like, I can't remember. You can get different sizes of like four or six D batteries or some of them maybe eight, um, several different models mm-hmm. and brands. And you would not think that that would keep a bear off of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it does. And couple of outfitters that I've worked for have used it really successfully. So a lot of, in fact, most of the hunts on Kodiak, we would, we'd string up a perimeter right. electric fence, plug that sucker in and turn, turn it on when we're gone for the day and come home and turn it off. And it's good. I think about sleeping I, at night with that thing on. Yeah. I, I mean, I recognize that. So I, I did some guiding out on the illusions, um, kind of the South of the milk. Um, and there's a lot of big, big bears out there and you know they would try like nails in these plywood sheets like tons of them right they just yeah they just, they just beat it up man and they just push those things over to a yeah. certain point and that was the only thing that kept them out of camp and the cabins and everything was, was the fence the fence yeah like the only thing yeah i've heard i mean the outfitter that i started working for on kodiak he swore by it yeah. and he learned it or he I guess trialed it on a fish camp that he had um, on the south end of Kodiak where it's just tons of bears 
and they had a cabin down there and they would board it up with the nails and stuff like that. And he said there'd always be crap broken when they came in yeah. in the springtime to check it out. And he said the only thing that really worked was that fence. So, no, it does work. And, and it, you wouldn't think you would hold out such a big animal, but hearing guys talk about I've never seen this before, but hearing guys talk about it, they say those bears can sense the electricity and they mm-hmm. touch their wet nose to that fence and get that little zap like right on the tip of the nose, you know? Right. And that's enough, yeah, man. Yeah, that's it. So, the other thing that's pretty good is you just work the bolts of your rifle and yell at them a lot, throw rocks at them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, but the the tent thing or the fence thing is awesome for. Well, I gotta think, especially if you're you're up and away and you know camping with a couple buddies, just a peace of mind. Yeah. If you got trouble sleeping at night, and yeah, most people probably do in a situation like on Kodiak. Uh, man, the peace of mind you probably have with that fence is probably incredible. I've never slept with a fence on. I should probably do that. I do sleep with my rifle next to me Mm -hmm. in the tent. Um, either next to my cot or under my cot. And I never, I, I always, when I start guide season, I put three in the magazine and I keep an empty chamber with the firing pin down at all times. Like I never put a shell in. And the nice thing about having the, the firing pin down is that you can just glance at it and you know, it's empty or it's, it's, you know, there's no risk of going off. So I pack the thing in and out of the tent all the time like that. I'm not saying you should do that. That's a good practice, but as a guide, man, I just, Mm -hmm. it's just one less thing to think about. And you don't want your gun to be in the wrong state when you need it. Sure. And I know all I have to do, if the pin's down, the safety's off. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So all I have to do is pick that thing up and rack a bullet in and I'm in business. And I, but the rest of the time there's zero risk. Yep. while carrying that thing. There's no chance that thing's going to go off. So that's how I like to do it. Keep a gun in the tent. I sleep like a baby, man. I don't know. I just don't think about it or worry You're about crazy. it. crazy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, yeah. I, I'm sure it's just like anything. You know, you put yourself around it enough and you get more comfortable. Yeah. You get around more bear. Yeah. You're be more comfortable. And then the risk is that you get too comfortable. And that's where yeah. you got to be careful for sure. Hopefully I'm not. Maybe I am. And listening to myself talk, I'm like, I should probably rethink a few of these things. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the bear thing, like, I don't think anybody should be discouraged by that. Some areas are worse than others too, in terms of like bear density or, you know, certain times of year, like you're, like you were saying, Ryan, and they're definitely going to be focused on salmon streams. So if you're going to try to hunt like a low elevation hunt on Kodiak while the silvers are running in the fall, it's like, yeah, you're going to see some bears. Yeah. You yeah know? If you're just totally freaked out by bears, but you still really want to do that hunt, might not be a bad idea to just do it when there's less of a chance of them being up Yeah, where you want to hunt. Well, I mean, November would be awesome. Yeah. You know, they're just slowing totally. way down. They're just not moving as much, whether they're hibernating or not. And there's still, you know, some residual fish in some of the streams, and they're just like fat and yeah. lazy yeah. and slowing down. Yeah. And if you got some time in November where you, you got to factor in some extra time for weather because it can get crappy. But if you've got the time, what a fun hunt that can be, hunting mm-hmm. peak rut mid to late November. What is a typical day like on a good year? Not a year where the deer have been hammered by winter, but typical day in November when they're rutting. How many bucks are you seeing? Eight. I want to be careful because it'll totally vary from area to area sure. and conditions and how much you're hiking and how much ground you're covering. This last year. If it was just Abe on the mountain in November. I don't know. I think it's very realistic to see 15 to 30 bucks a day. Wow. It's a pile of bucks. 
guys a lot. And they're running around. <laughs> yeah, so 30 would be deer. a lot, and that's counting every buck. That's counting everything, yeah. everything with yeah. any visible horns on it. If you hunted the same spot, are you seeing new deer every day at that? I never hunt the same spot, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you do see, yeah, they cruise around for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, they... I don't know. I don't want to say anything like hard and fast because I just think that it just really varies. I mean, one drainage versus another, you know, the mountainous stuff versus more of the lowlands, you know, Kodiak's got, even though the top to the, from sea level to the top of the mountains, isn't a big, big elevation difference. You know, there's some, definitely some diversity on that Island for, for the geography and, Mm. and also, um, plant life. I mean, the spruce forests and kind of towards the North end, but the South end's all bare, you know? Yeah. Um, Different, so you know, I would obviously, micro spikes would be like required in that country with the wet grasses and helpful for sure. Yeah, yeah, especially late season when the ground starts to freeze. Sure, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did a bison hunt, bison hunt in um, January this past year. We were hiking up in the mountains, and and I was wishing I didn't pack my micro spikes, and I was wishing I had them um, just because the ground was frozen. So we get on side of the mountain you know and the grass is slick because it's got yeah, frost on it and then right. the ground underneath you're not gripping it with your boots it's like the going was a little rough yeah but uh man it's so fun hmm. yeah you'll, 2020 you'll make it happen 2020 for sure and the whole thing's good yeah all right i'm blabbing enough i don't have, i don't have any good reason why we haven't done it yet really <laughs> i've been talking yeah. about it for what you're gonna do too long you come up and hunt blacktails and you're just gonna see all the goats and be like Oh man, I gotta come back and shoot uh, a goat. <laughs> I know. That's my worry. That's something. Yeah. Dude. Let's just talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. All right. Have okay, so twenty twenty sickle blacktail. Okay. Have you seen have I sent you the guide yet? Have you checked yeah. it out? Okay, cool. Yeah. You got a chance to take a look at it. Blown away. Oh, did you like yeah, it? Yeah. I mean what you told me, hey, can you check something out with me? I or for me, uh been working on it. I'm kinda self conscious, blah blah. I'm thinking like you've got like one article you're gonna send me like two paragraphs or something, and I open it up and I'm next, next, next. I'm like, this is a lot of information. So I mean, people are gonna be serious, dude. That's something they should definitely check out. Okay, so what I sent you was that one called "Hunt Like a Guide." Okay. Yeah, that wasn't the. That's not even. The, that's okay, not the so sickle blacktail guide. Thing. No. Yeah. So what I what he's what uh, Jeff's talking about for people listening, like, what is. What is that? Um, I I put out this Kodiak Sicko Blacktail Guide, which is like how to plan a hunt. And then in it, I'm going through and I'm like thinking, okay, I'm going to have a chapter like how to hunt like a guide, which is just how I think about a hunt, you know, as a guy who makes a living taking folks out and trying to working really hard, trying to get them an animal. And, you know, I mean, we take, success really seriously even though you, you can't guarantee anything but what, what like a lot of is the psychology of hunting right. as you know as a guy who does it for a living and i and i feel i don't have all the answers in like anything like that i feel like i've learned a ton from really incredible hunters that have taken the time to teach me and i've been able to learn from them and watch them as a packer and then also with guiding other guides and picking their brains and stuff so just kind of sharing some of that knowledge that's what I sent to you, Jeff, and I yeah. haven't put it out yet. Okay. Because I'm super, I don't know. It became a monster of its own. So what I, I originally planned, like, one chapter that I was going to put in the Kodiak Sick Blacktail Guide and, like, 
I'm going to recommend this kind of gear, but this is how I use it. And this is why. And that's like the hunt, like a guy thing that, you yeah, know what I mean? Not the, and it, I just realized, details. yeah, I spent two weeks like writing it and editing it. And I was like, this is, and I'm not even done yet. And it's not ready to publish. And I was super self, I don't know, self-conscious about it because I, I feel like I took a lot of big risks in the way that I wrote it. And I think you mentioned that you're like, this is kind of a kick in the ass. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> you know what I mean? But Ryan, like I'll have to, if you want to, I'll send it to you. I'd love to hear your opinion. Sure. Cause I think it's a lot of stuff that you probably already really follow, know and follow. Mm-hmm. And yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of it's just how you think about what you think about what you do when you're out there on the mountain. I think for me, it's almost like how, you know, if, if you want a backcountry hunt or whatever, hunt hard and deep, it's what you talk about before you go out there. Like that's kind of what you explain. But then when you get out there, everything changes and everybody kind of turns into, I don't know, pussies Thinking for, about the, for that matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, getting out early, yeah, not going as deep, yeah. not hunting as many days. And it's just like, man, don't sometimes be afraid to get up on that just, mic a little. Okay. Yeah. yeah sometimes you just do need that kick in the ass and that, that was it. I mean, just a reminder. Yeah. We had, you know, I had a client this fall on a Sitka blacktail hunt on Kodiak who was so much fun. He was in great shape and he was a CrossFitter and he'd done CrossFit. I think he said like three days a week for the last four years, like just hardcore just going in and doing it every week. And you could, I could tell on the mountain, it was one of the first guys that I've had that was just right behind me all the time. And he'd be, and what I mean by that is early on, he's like right behind me. So I'm like, Oh cool. We can actually hike. Let's go. And then he's still right behind me. I'm like, Oh cool. This is fun. Like, let's go harder. And he's still right behind me. I'm like, Oh shit, this guy's in really good shape. (laughs) And so then I'm thinking like, I'm kind of working my butt off here and he's still right there. And, uh, we got to the end of that hunt and he ended up shooting a nice buck on the last day. And, um, my boss, Jeremy later told me, he's like, yeah, I was talking to your hunter and he was telling me how hard it was. Like it was how exhausting the hunt was. And he didn't know it'd be so brutal and so physical and all this stuff. And like, from my perspective, I'm like, this guy was awesome. He was like yeah. a dream client. <laughs> he was in such good shape. He was always right there. Always had a good attitude, you know, fun to hunt with. Swapped a lot of stories when we were glassing, you know, didn't complain, was well prepared, had great gear. I mean, it was just like everything was so smooth and effortless. And then, and then, my, and then Jeremy started telling me some of the stuff that he was saying. And what I realized was, is that he could absolutely 110% do everything and everything that I was doing. But in his mind, it was a lot harder for him to actually do that, even though physically he was incredibly capable. And so it was like the mental fatigue is what wore him down by the end. And, and so he was, yeah. So Jeremy said he had actually a very difficult time with that hunt. And I was like, that is not my impression of that experience at all. Yeah, but the it, whole time he's back there thinking, man, this guy is working my tail faster off. faster right? and faster. Man, this guy is tough. <laughs> this one time we were hiking a hill and it was like the day before the last day of the hunt. And I was just like, dude, you were doing so awesome. I was like, why don't you, we were on a trail to get up into this area and I was like why don't you just take the lead on this trail and I'm thinking he's got to be tired I'm tired I was kind of whooped you know and uh and I'm like I could take it easy on this hike we got plenty of time to get up there and 
he took off and I was just like, Oh man, (laughs) (laughs) that, that plan didn't work out. But, uh, I, I did this, uh, I had this other conversation with Jeremy Humphrey, which is actually the podcast that I just released, uh, recently my second one. And he's such a fascinating guy. He's a professional ultra marathon runner. So hundred mile races. And he really blew me away because he, he also consults like as a running consultant. And he really got into talking about mental fatigue. And he said, as a runner, it's not physical fatigue that limits people. It's actually mental fatigue. And the fact that a lot of running is just getting your brain conditioned to do what you're doing, not your body. Right. That, that was crazy for me to hear. I completely buy into that. Oh yeah. Oh man. I mean, you just look at some of the guys that work out all year. I mean, they work out all summer and they're ready for that hunt until a few days in and things are tough and it just gets, if you're, if you're not tough mentally, it's easy to back out of there and come up with a reason, an excuse, I guess. And, but you have to be strong in your mind to be able to just, you know, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, even when things aren't great. And I think that's probably the number one by far, you know, is what creates guys that are consistently successful versus guys that get pushed out of the mountains like on a couple of bad days or slow oh, yeah. days or bad weather days or anything like that. Yeah. When did you like, as you got into backcountry hunting, when did you get serious about that aspect of hunting or like, when did it click for you? When did you, was it a slow process or was there, there ever a day where you were just like, man, I think I just need to be tougher. <laughs> I just need to ride this out. Oh, uh, I don't know. I can't really remember a specific day. Um, I think just, I know growing up, trying to keep up with my dad, that was, he's not taking it easy on you. He's like, keep up or you're going to fall back there. And he was, uh, he was always very competitive, not with me, but with like other people, even just bird hunting. Like I always, always had to outrun the other pheasant guys that are trying to get to the end of that row or constantly so there's always that competition and it's trying to be you know tough and uh yeah he just he definitely didn't baby me in any way when it comes to long distances and hunting hills and stuff like that i don't know there was never really a time for me where it's like okay it's time to be mentally tough i kind of look back on a couple things for me in two years of unsuccessful elk hunting Mm. And to the point where you, you keep giving a little bit more and it's like, no, if you want to be successful, it's not leaving a day early. It's not missing a morning hunt because you're tired or you hiked too much the day before. It's, you know, that might've been the day, you know, and that's yeah. all it takes is that one chance. So two years of unsuccessful elk hunting for me. And then the third, we, we did a lot better in my mind. And we pushed every morning all day. I mean, our breaks were slim. I mean, sometimes we'd go back and we'd, you know, take that needed nap or, Hey, let's, let's just stay out here. Let's keep Mm -hmm. hunting. You know, why, what are we going to shoot in the tent? Nothing. So last year we did a lot better job. We didn't kill anything, but we had a lot of encounters, like a lot of good encounters. So two years of unsuccessful elk hunting. Yeah. Nothing's going to stop you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, gosh, I think it's hard to, it's hard to say like, nobody's really mentally tough in the early years, but after those experiences where, you know, 
or or experiences where you've been successful on the last day that type thing once you get that implanted firmly in your head and you know that happens or you just hear people that it's happened to and once you really understand that that's there's always a possibility and it could happen at any moment especially with elk yeah i mean nine times out of ten with elk you're at the point where you think it's not going to happen and it happens yep bam five minutes now you're sitting there and you're like man i just got an arrow into a bull and so i think when you um you know when you've had those experiences or at least you've heard people with those experiences enough times and you recognize that and realize that's a reality like it could happen at any point that definitely brings in some mental toughness there mm-hmm. um not not through hard experiences but just you know recognizing that that's just a reality of hunting you know it could happen at any point so nevada yeah that's <laughs> right perfect down, yeah for us ninth. i was uh, yeah. that was the perfect hunt for us at that time yeah i'm gonna fix your mic there it just oh. turned on you Dude, I'm the more and more I'm digging the headset things. These are kind of a pain in the butt, <laughs> keeping them straight and trying to stay yeah. on them. They're so, working. how many days did you guys plan, Jeff, in Nevada? We planned on nine, and day seven, I believe it was. A couple guys' minds started to change. They're talking about the ribeyes back in Boise. That's never. Hey, a there's good a sign. good ribeye back in Boise. <laughs> And I, at, at this point, I'm like, tuning it out. We planned on this day. This is the day we're leaving if we don't kill. So we stretched it out until the last morning. And we actually had until that night prior to us leaving. We gave ourselves till that night. So that morning that I came back and camp was packed up. And I'm like... They packed up while you were out? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So they'd packed up camp and... wait. Are you okay? Like, yeah, these are your boys, right? These are my boys. Okay. Yeah, this we're is good. Fine. We've okay. talked about this even. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, they, they had checked out a day early and, uh, you know, talks of the wife back home or the ribeyes in Boise, you know, that was a pretty constant talk for a day and a half. Um, so I intentionally was going to go sleep 300 yards away from them on top of the mountain and make them wait as long as I could. And I sat up there for a couple hours, and I finally came back down just thinking maybe they found something, and camp's packed up. And I'm like, I guess we're leaving. And my tent's put away even. Like, all my stuff's put away. And then I look Mutiny. over. Mutiny. <laughs> yeah. So I look I look down, and I'm walking down, and they're, they're kind of running back up to where they had been glassing. And I get up to them. I'm like, oh, what, what do you guys see? And they're like, oh, there's some deer over there. And I'm like throughout my binos and I'm like I almost got antlers and it's it's a small two point they're like oh yeah I guess it does and I'm like we're going like right now okay I guess we are and then the other couple guys were like oh you're never gonna do it you're never gonna get there I was like I just looked at Paul I said dude we're bonsai in it I was like we're just gonna go for it everything we got don't play it safe we're going for it doesn't work out it doesn't work out so we did and he killed that buck and uh that i mean it's kind of cool too like i think even in the podcast and even i've got a text from him a couple times and he's like if it wasn't for you i would never have killed that deer and even though it was a little fork and horn like that sticks with me big time so 
last day hunt, man. That was the perfect hunt. Every, after that, everybody in that truck was like, it would have been a long ride home, leaving the day early, not killing a buck. Even though we only killed a little two point, like spirits were high. And it's that last day mentality, man. And it's stuck with us after that, that whole year. I mean, that was last year. It stuck with us the entire year and it worked out that way more than once after that. So pretty cool. Yeah. Do you think that guys like Ryan Lampers are good for new guys starting out in the hunting industry or like starting out in hunting? Like Ryan walks into the woods nonchalantly every fall and stacks up huge <laughs> mule deer and elk and just like, mate, you make it look easy, man. I'm not going to lie. I think it's encouraging, but at the same time, you know, you have to be ready for it because once you go on a hunt, you might think, oh, it's easy. There's bucks everywhere. Like Nevada, we thought, you know, there's so many deer, but then you get there and you realize it's still a hunt, you know, and yeah. you quickly realize they're still deer. They're still trying to be killed by other people, other animals. So yeah, he makes it look easy, but you still have to work your butt off to kill it. Well, that's what I mean. Do you think that guys, cause I, I'm not really that plugged into a lot of, you know, Western mule deer hunting, but it seems like you hear stories about guys who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm holding out for a 180 buck. And it's like, well, have you ever, you know, and they've never killed a mule deer before or something yeah. like that with their bow. And that's the big plan. I'm just, I just find a lot of value in hunting and being un- unsuccessful and hunting and shooting the two point and the three point and having those experiences and filling the freezer and having that, the joy of success, even though the horns aren't big and it's no knock on you, Ryan, at all, but like you do go out there and you've been doing this a long time and you're very knowledgeable and you have a ton of experience and you're obviously very skilled and you you kill a lot of big stuff, man. And it, it can be encouraging, super encouraging. It can be inspiring because it's like, look at this guy. He's blue collar DIY getting out there, hunting out of state, hunting his home state, and he's getting it done. But at the same time, I'm just curious, like, I wonder if people out there look at that and just think it's, oh, if he can, like, it's easy. Like, I can go out there and hold out for a 180 buck and yeah, I ho- it's doable. I hope, <laughs> <laughs> I hope any success I've had doesn't steer people to try to do that because uh, I would tell anybody and everybody, take every chance, especially young, as if you're young and you're just getting onto the scene of bow hunting for muleys or elk or whatever. Um Take the born and raised approach and Absolutely. do not let one go by. Take every opportunity to get experience. Um, make sure you can execute a shot at an animal. Learn a blood trail. Completely oh different yeah. than a target. Learn the blood trail. Uh, learn all those little things that will, in time, it'll just develop an instinct in you that'll help you in the later years. But trying to go out in the early years and just try to find a mature buck is and kill it and do everything right, it's just not in the cards for anyone, none of us. Uh, you have to gain experiences. And, uh, uh, you know, let's face it, you're going to run into a lot lot of smaller bucks before you find a 180 buck. So um, I would never tell anybody to pass on a nice three-point or whatever, or small four uh, in the early years if, if they haven't killed too many deer. No way. I think social media has kind of screwed that up for a yeah. lot of people where yeah. if you don't kill a big buck, you're like kind of laughed at. And it's like, mm. man, I want to shoot whatever makes me happy. If I see a deer and it's going to make me happy, I should be proud of it. 
regardless of what anybody's going to think or say. You should absolutely. absolutely be proud of it. Yeah. And I'm kind of picking on Ryan here, but I think you're right, Jeff. I think it's it's a lot bigger than that. It's social media. It's, and it's also perception. You know, it's like yeah. we go out there and these guys go out there and work hard and, and kill big stuff. And there are a lot of very hardworking, very successful hunters out there who are DIY guys. You know, they are blue collar guys. And I think we could all probably rattle off a few names off the tip of our tongues, you know that we know of that consistently kill big animals, but they get, they, they put in a lot of work to get there. Like yeah. you're saying, Ryan, and they've learned a lot and they paid their dues. And if you take that, like the percentage of those people compared to everybody else who's out there having a great time, meat hunting or being unsuccessful or, you know, just hunt. We all love hunting. You know, all those people, they are the people who are out there doing it like who are being consistently successful on mature animals are such a tiny, tiny percentage that it is, I think in some ways it's detrimental um, to the perception of hunting that like anybody could go out there and do that. It's like, sure. Cause it, what it does is it takes value away from those experiences. Like you're saying, I killing a two point on the last day of a, the, an out of state hunt. The first time you've hunted mountain mule deer in a state yeah. you've never everything, hunted before. I mean, how cool we is did, that? We should be so proud of it. You know, and then you look at it, it's a little fork and horn. Yeah. People, I'm, I promise people judged it, you know? Yeah. But if you would have seen Paul's face when he shot it, you know, that's, that's what it's about, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the experience. You know, we did kill a buck on the last day. We didn't go home empty-handed. We didn't give up. So yeah, that's and so we cool. and we have a friend um, that did the same thing. You know, that same year. Yeah, he, yeah, he's, Ryan. Yeah. yeah, by himself, yeah. solo too. He was. Solo. Oh, was he solo? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, good. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, and that's awesome. Such a cool story. And he's doing it the right way because yeah. he does not have a whole lot of experience uh, bow hunting, especially. And so he put in the time. I mean. Man, he was working out with us, shooting a lot. And he found, you know, he found some deer and he was figuring out all those little, you know, uh, nuances to putting a stock on a buck and and learning all that, which is super valuable. And yeah, he failed and he failed and he failed. And that's what's needed to get him to that last day where he was down to the wire as well. He and was down in the dumps. In the he was ready too. to quit. Yeah, but, but he kept sticking it he out. He stuck it out and then he got that forky and um dude he, there was not a man on the planet that was more happy for a guy right. to get that buck. Yep. And um we're talking about Ryan Bayless as well. That's right. Yeah. I, I think if there are those people in the social media world that like poo poo people who get smaller bucks, hopefully as a community we can just uh laugh those guys out of it because that's ridiculous. It just yeah. seems like uh you know, it's it's just nonsense. Everybody's got to, you know, take those steps to get to where, you know, you execute shots and you figure out all the those little nuances. And that does not come in your teens. doesn't come in your 20s. It comes after a whole lot of trips and a whole lot of time spent. But it'll happen for sure. It's just a lot of time spent. Yeah. So. Man, that was cool. Ryan just recently put up a picture you know, that selfie picture of him smiling with that buck. And it's like, oh, yeah. you could just see if you've been there or yep. you've seen that face, that look on someone's face before, you know. And like, that was such a great picture. I like met up with him it. on his way back. We met up and um, yeah, there was not a happier dude on the planet. So cool. Yeah. Cause he, he did it. He put in the time and he took it down to the wire and just absolutely made it happen. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I think that's one of the big reasons I love hunting with my kids and getting out there with them is 
you know, the intensity of the hunt is different. Like if I'm by myself, the intensity is like, I'm going hard and I'm going far and I'm working my butt off and I'm kind of burning the candle, you know, at both ends. And with the kids, it's have to like turn that dial down quite a bit. Right. Um, but the, but for me, there's a lot of intensity to within their capabilities to try to make it happen. And that's kind of a, I try not to be overbearing, but I know I am. I'm kind of a control freak a little bit, I think. And trying, there's so much you can't control, you know, but, uh, as kids, it's like, get like this elk hunt that we did a couple of years ago, the muzzleloader elk hunt. It just takes them longer to get on a rifle or a muzzleloader and get it in the sticks and get steadying get the safety off and get ready for a shot. It takes, you know, a lot longer than any one of us. Right. And that's a constraint. That's just where they are now. And I have to calm down. I get super worked up. Like it's like right now, right. <laughs> make it happen. And they're just not there, you know? Yeah. We've all, um, we've all had experiences where that extra half a second made the, the world. Exactly. And, and the buck walks away. That's right. But and, they haven't seen that yet. So. Right. Right. Or like, man, those kids though, that hunt, specifically that we did it was like they had we had elk within range of the muzzleloader twice a day for four days straight including a couple misses and so they in a very short amount of time man they got a lot of hunting experience in and it was so cool to see the failure 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 and they're like they're i'm scraping them up off the ground like it's okay buddy come you know it's like like mentally they're really getting discouraged Mm -hmm. and I would trade off with the boys we were hunting with a buddy and so they'd kind of trade back and forth and I could just see it throughout the hunt but the last hour of the last day that I could hunt and my 11 year old boy at the time it was just like one last ditch effort like you're saying like we're not giving up like our policy is if we see elk we're just running like if there's any time, any daylight left, we don't even think about it. We just go for it. Check right. the wind on the way. I mean, that's our policy is like, yeah. there is no Canyon too deep. There's no Ridge too far. Like we just go for it. And I've, and I've really taught that to the kids. Like they got to keep up with dad, kind of like you were saying, right. you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, we saw these elk and it was like, we don't have much time left. We better freaking go. And we just got up on this huge herd of elk, like three, 400 elk scattered across this big Canyon. And we came in on a little narrow side draw that um, emptied into this canyon. And as we snuck down that, there were elk just milling all around inside that bigger canyon. And so we came around the corner and we belly crawled up on this little grassy bench. And a big cow um, walked up and walked within 30 yards of where we were laying in the grass. And Josiah's, uh, I saw her coming like through the tall yellow grass. I could see on there, and when I looked at it through my binos, I could see that she was going to feed by us. So I got him, like, crouched down kind of to sit up and get that muzzleloader in the sticks, and he was just far enough back so she couldn't see him. You know what I mean? Right. And when she walked out, she was 30 yards of broadside. And when and he shot her just perfect right behind the shoulder, right through the lungs. And when he, that went down, that kid freaked out in the best way absolutely possible. And it's like... Yeah, I can run off and I can do a lot of hunts solo and I can, you know, I could, I could do that with my time, but that does something to me to watch your son. Like this was his third year of elk hunting really hard. And this is all he wants to do in life is elk hunt to watch the like unbridled joy 
you know, come out of that kid after he shot his first elk and how meaningful it was to him and how excited he was. And how, I mean, he was just screaming like, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe it. He's like, I've worked, I've hunted for three years, you know, and he's just experienced failure after failure, you know, close calls and all this stuff. Oh my gosh. Hmm. It's it. I don't know. It it touches me at a deep level for sure. Yeah. So exciting. And it's a cow. But, right. he, you know, but for him, it's his Trophy first moment. elk. Yeah. yeah. That's the perfect way to go. Filled yeah, the yeah. freezer. No oh, kidding. my gosh. Huh. Yeah, that is that is uh, exactly how it's supposed to start. You're supposed to have tough times in the beginning mm. and all those little failures and and then, you know, start small and work your way up. It's perfect. Yeah. Good times, man. Are you going to get out with, with Paley this year? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're gonna go do another bear hunt this yeah. year. Is she gonna get to hunt? Not, not yet. Okay. No, she's still not. I, I set that limit at ten. She's nine. Okay. She'll, she'll be nine this year, so we're gonna do it next year. But, she did uh, pass hunter safety though, right? Yeah, she got that. Cool. We still got to go do the uh, the course with the instructor. But okay. We got the online part knocked out, so we're getting close, and I'm excited. It's gonna be a lot of fun, and yeah, it's just almost like. A changing of the guard who who's going to start filling freezers and yeah I I just can't wait for her to start taking on that role. So that's awesome. Yep, dude, yep. she is going to she's going to be an animal. She's going to be an animal. <laughs> <laughs> she's tougher uh, than most grown men already. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. such a cool kid. I think she's going to have you know the endurance of a seasoned vet by the time she's hunting. She's she's going to be good. So yeah, she's got a lot of drive in her and. And she's so athletic that uh, now it's going to be fun just watching, you know, her keep up and do these big hunts. And, you know, it's going to be difficult hunts. You know, there's going to be like what my dad with, did with me. We started off in the backcountry um, for mule deer and it was, uh, you know, definitely not easy and it was challenging. And I think she's going to take to that pretty fast. Well, she already has, right? I mean, yep. with that yep. last black bear hunt you did with her. Well, we... We've got a bear that we're going for this year. It's one we spotted last year that we we were cliffed out. We just could not get into the canyon that this bear was in without ropes and a harness. So we're packing that rope and harness. That bear, <laughs> yeah. he's going to be there. He's a big old jet black. And uh, we just I just could not figure out a way to drop her into that canyon. So now this year we're going to we're going to get in that canyon. That's awesome. And so she, she talks about that. Um, and she remembers that jet black that we saw and uh, no doubt in my mind, we'll, we'll pick him up again. So I can't wait to see pictures of that one. I know it's going to be fun. That's awesome. What else do you have planned for this year? Um, well, Jeff and I are doing some things like we talked about Colorado, uh, going to do Montana again, Idaho again. Um, it's a lot of things have changed. Idaho has changed in a way. Sadly. Sadly. Um, Hopefully it's for the good though. Yeah. What do, what are you talking? I don't know what you're talking so about. So there, there's been some hunts in Idaho that, um, one of the hunts that we did last year, it was fun. It was a blast. We had a great time, but it has changed to the point where now it's a draw. We're not going to oh, draw it. Oh, so, really? So we uh, we're changing up. We're just gonna go do something else. That's we're right, because they learn do some new country. They do their regs like 
or last year they did the two year regs. Like so, it was sixteen and seventeen. Is that right? Was it the same for that two I years in a know. row? I'm not. I know they just passed this so like last month. Yeah, oh, okay. it was. Uh, they had a meeting. They had a meeting about this. One of the things specifically was about this, and decided to put some units into the ten percent non res draw. So gotcha. Uh, so that's all changed up, but you know, it's not. It's not like too much of a heartbreak. We're just going to go learn new country and, and try to find some hidey hole somewhere else. And we were going to mix it up anyway and go to new areas. But this is just forcing us to go to a completely different, different area, different mountain range. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we'll be looking forward to that. And, uh, just like we did last year, totally new, new spot. And, um, we'll just figure it out as we go. But so late Montana, um, late Idaho, Colorado, and then obviously bear hunts in Washington early when the berries are popping, hopefully it's a good berry year. And then everything in between is kind of up in the air with draws. Yeah. You know, how much, you know, a Washington elk we do will be kind of, you know, up in the air until we find out if we drew any of these other States. So what about you, Jeff? Uh, planned out stuff. Um, spring bear hunt somewhere, either Idaho, Montana, then August, Colorado. I don't think I'm going to do anything else in August. And then from there, I'm actually going to help film in Colorado on some elk hunts with a couple of cool guys. Then heading straight up to Idaho for elk, be up there with the guys for 10th through the 20th or so. That's the Hunt Wild guys? That's your yep. crew? Yeah. Yep. Cool. And then uh, after that, I'll probably They got have some to. unsettled business. Oh, yeah? We have a lot of unsettled <laughs> business, man. Yeah. We flung some arrows last year, and sadly, they never hit where we wanted them to. So there's... Gotcha. Yeah. That's okay. That's part of it, right? And then after that, probably have to go home and be a dad for a little while. And... Uh, Chase Elk in Washington for muzzleloader season. Well, I have the multi-season, so who knows what will happen. Who knows? There. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, pending draws. And then uh, late season, I'll probably get in one mule deer hunt and be good. That's a busy season. It is. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. I keep adding more and more. Can't wait. Yeah, for sure. These August hunts are awesome. Yeah. That's, I mean... When you're just from Washington, you never really expect to hunt before Mm -hmm. September 1st, except for chasing bears in the high country. But muleys in August, man, I wish there was some more of that. Yeah, it'd be cool if Washington had some of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice because, you know, uh, man, so many times in years past, you know, when you start on the 1st, you better make it happen in the first few days. Yeah, otherwise they disappear. They disappear. They go hard horn. There's a lot of them have already, you know, shed uh, on day one of our archery season. So that makes it difficult when they start dropping down into timber. So yeah, it'd be awfully nice of the state if they would let us hunt. Mm-hmm. Maybe last ten days of August, that'd be phenomenal. But probably a, a pipe dream at this point. Even if they did it on a draw, that would be cool. Oh, for sure. We just don't even have that option. I'd be putting in for that every year. I know. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And then what about 2019? You you have big plans in 2019, don't you, Ryan? Um, yes, they will be big plans. Again, determining, you know, 
or just whatever the draws hold. But I plan on drawing a few tags in the next couple of years. So uh, hoping to get, you never know about New Mexico. It's just an every year thing you put in for Utah and building up some points in Utah and all that. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to continue to just get after it in a bunch of different states now. And um, I just don't know absolutely what. 19 is going to hold yet. You going to come to Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> oh, on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, we do have. Thinking about it. We do have a moose hunt that we're getting on the books for, for 19 for sure. Nice. That's 100%. That's one that we tried setting up for this year. We were just a little bit too late for the, uh, the drainage that we wanted to go into. So um, 19 is when we're going to make that happen. That's been a bucket list hunt for a long time. Very cool. How long have you been thinking about that or planning that? How long oh, have you been planning it? It's been years just trying to piece it together. And similar to what you've talked about with the blacktail, you know, Kodiak, Sitka blacktail. Um, you know, trying to trying to figure everything out on our own. It would, it's going to be an unguided, you know, public land type hunt. And it's... All those little things that you just don't quite know for sure. Uh, how do you get the bull out when you get him down? Um, how do you get him home? One of my biggest concerns, Abe, honestly, is not getting into the spot and not getting that bull back to camp. But how do I get that critter back to my house? <laughs> like, how do you get the rack back to your house? How do I get the meat to where I don't wreck it in any way? How do I get it back to Anchorage? How do I get it back to you know, Seattle and then back to my house. So those have been some of my bigger concerns. Um, but as of late, as we get closer to this, like I said, I was trying to get this done this year. So I talked to a lot more people and I got a general better, generally a better idea on how to do it, but it's still a little daunting. You know, you just don't want to screw up and you don't want to cost yourself a whole lot of money, you know, making a mistake and, um, you know, doing something to mess up that meat. It's a lot of moose meat. It's a lot of meat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot of meat. It's good meat though. Yep. One of the nice things about being a guide is I get to eat a lot of wild game. It's Absolutely. definitely a perk. There's a lot of guys who come up on guided hunts. They just aren't going to take hundreds of pounds of meat home with them after the hunt. Right. And so they donate it. And a lot of times we handle it, just do a transfer of possession for them. And right. And we handle the meat for them. But uh, no, I think that's really smart because I think that just from talking to folks, I'm not sure people are thinking about it as the logistical challenge that it really is. I think for a lot of people getting it home is kind of more of an afterthought. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the big reasons why I have encouraged and will continue to encourage folks to come up and do like a blacktail hunt or even a caribou hunt first before, before biting off a full blown DIY moose hunt in Alaska. Big Cause giant that pile of meat. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Until you see, until you pack the whole thing out six, I mean, there's no way to get around it. It's six loads. Yeah. Some of the, you know, and different weights get thrown around, you know, but I mean, a few of those loads are definitely going to be a hundred pounds plus whether they're 130 or 150, you know, kind of, Depends on the size of your moose and, and whatever, but um, that's a lot of meat yeah. to move. That's a lot. It's a lot of work. Honestly, you know, 
Well, I know a lot of places up there now, you, you're packing all the bones out. Packing bones out for sure. Yeah. I and mean, talk about that. What do you know much about that? Like why in certain areas they're having you take everything yeah. versus others? I, I'm not an expert on that and I actually can't speak to it in a lot of detail. Um, I've read up on it a little bit, but I don't want to say something that's wrong because I'm not really well versed in it. But what just basically what you're talking about is Alaska in their regulations in certain units um, or certain times a year, you have to pack the meat out on the bone. Right. You can't debone the meat to pack it out. I think a lot of it has. And okay, so just to preface, like this is my perception. This may not be accurate. I think a lot of the issue has been um, waste due to spoil meat spoilage in the past. Okay. And so that they've just come in and said, oh, you know, if you're hunting here, it's too wet or here it's too, or this time it's too early and there's just too much risk. Because as soon as you open all that meat up, you know, you're, we, you know, we all know when you take a quarter off, it's got that skin on the outside, like that fascia tissue or whatever it is that really protects it. It drives, off, dries really quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's not moist on the outside. And like if you've ever had a quarter start to go bad, it seems like it always starts to go bad around the ball joint, like on a hind quarter, you know, where that meat's exposed. And um, and I think that filleting that meat off the bone, deboning it, just opens up so much more meat to to micro micro uh, organisms to mm-hmm. get in and and turn it. So, but that's that's my speculation. I haven't taught. I don't know that for sure, but uh, I need to do more, more looking into that. But you're right; there are some units where, yeah, you're not uh, you're not allowed to be debone meat right, for sure right. for caribou and moose. And that's yeah, so, so that's foreign. an issue. That's just like a whole different game when you're packing all the bones out. <laughs> but the other thing too, <laughs> try to handle a deboned moose hindquarter. Right, it's right. a pain in the ass. It's like dead weight that flops around and it's like there's nothing to grab onto. It's awfully nice to have that bone in and you can just grab that thing at the hawk and sling it over your shoulder or mm-hmm. pick it, you know, muscle it up and move it. It is a pain in the butt. You have to have like the super heavy duty canvas style meat bags with handles on them or enough bag that you can really roll up and get a good grip on just to move that much meat. Mm-hmm. It was over a hundred pounds, just a hunk of floppy Gee. meat, <laughs> you know. So moving it around, I think it's way better bone in. Hmm. The trick is to just not shoot the dang thing too far away. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, that's kind of what's kind of the rule, like a half mile. It's mile? A, it totally depends on like ha, it totally depends on circumstances. So if you've got good walking ground and it's not too steep or nasty and or it's not boggy or, or spongy yeah, or blow yeah. down or anything like that, it's good firm walking ground. You know, then like a month, well, it's six hard packing trips. Yeah. So you just kind of got to do, just got to be honest with yourself. I mean, you are going to pack very differently, you know, than maybe a Midwest guy and not to knock Midwest guys, but they've grown up doing a lot more, maybe tree stand hunting. Right. You know, and they're not doing a lot of backpacking with heavy loads in the mountains. They don't have that experience. So you got to kind of be realistic with what your experience is and what, be honest with what you think you're capable of. Mm-hmm. You know, and like we were talking about earlier, a lot of, I mean, so much of pack of meat's mental. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so, but man, you start introducing spongy tundra or bogs or spruce blow drowns or, you know, crossing rivers or any of that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden it's like <laughs> the level of, effort involved to move that meat it's like you can't 
It's easy to kind of not think about it. You kind of yeah, have to make you a plan. Have to. Like you have to set a boundary for yourself. Yes. And so, yeah. And, and or really steep, nasty areas. Right. You know, if you're hunting like foothills of the mountains or something like that for a moose and those bulls, you can, they, 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 they'll summer up in those mountains, like a, like a mule, mule deer or an elk. Hmm. And when that rut starts to kick in, they'll come cruising out looking for cows. Well, you can get them in some steep spots and man, well, you know, like putting a super heavy pack on and getting out of steep, nasty country. It's like, that's tough to do. So yeah, I've packed good. one out of steep, nasty country. It is not fun. Hmm. But, uh, so yeah, I think you just got to take a look at your situation and be realistic, sure. be honest with yourself. And then what I would recommend is when you land and you get there and you get the camp set up and you start hiking around in glass and looking around, it's like, you know, with your buddies, especially like probably have that, make that, have that, uh, a planned discussion for the first day. Like yeah. let's set a hard limit. And that limit might change towards the end of the hunt sure. because oh, yeah. all of a sudden you're running out of time yep. to actually move that yeah. meat before you're getting picked up again. So start doing some math in your head and figure you, it I out. Mean, you almost have to give yourself a day or two grace period in there. Like we can't kill a bull after this unless it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, Ryan, I think you and I have talked about this uh, in the past too, is like if you're going in with buddies, depending on how many guys you're going in with, it's a it's an advantage and a disadvantage because on the one hand, you have more guys to help you move that meat and get it out quicker. But on the other hand, if everybody's going in with a tag, mm-hmm. the reality is you're pro- you, not everybody's going to punch your tags. Or if you are, <laughs> it's like if you take four guys in and, and you're able to shoot four bulls on the ground, all, all you're going to remember from that hunt is packing out yeah. four bulls at the same time you know a rel- you know on the same week long or 10 day hunt or whatever it is and it's like but i don't know man moose hunting is challenging there's a lot of demand for moose in alaska there's a lot of guys who get out and hunt them and there's moose aren't whitetails they're not they're not hiding under every bush man mm-hmm. and so i think to be realistic if you go in with three four guys shooting two moose is going to be a successful hunt in a lot of areas yeah. Two good bulls, two legal bulls, you know, and of course that varies, and you know anybody could go out and prove me prove me wrong, you know. I mean, you got to be careful what you say, but I just think that that's a realistic expe- expectation. If you're if you're hunting with a few guys, try to get one, maybe right. two good bulls down, and be happy. Yeah, hmm. not tr- you know not stress out too much about punching every tag or everybody going into the hunt should probably not go in with the expectation that you're going to fill 100 percent of tags. So yeah. But man, is it fun? Yeah, yeah, it looks like it. it's it's something I definitely wanna I wanna get it under my belt. I don't know that I'll ever do it again. It may be a once in a lifetime deal for me. Just love to get a moose at some point. So yeah, when you get towards the end of that season and they're rutting and they're dumb and looking for cows mm-hmm. and you can scrape. I mean, you can treat it just like like I've heard you tell elk hunting stories. It's like scraping. You can scrape them in. You can call them in and. And they just come right in. Shooting one with a bow. I don't have a lot of desire to do a ton of moose hunting in my life. But one of the things I definitely want to do is shoot a a big rutted up bull with my longbow. Right. You know, Hmm. a few yards. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That'll be fun. So what are the challenges that have you figured out? Or maybe I should just wait for your guide to talk about getting meat back to Seattle here. Yeah, I haven't tackled. Are you planning on bringing a whole moose back? Is that your, is that your, are you wanting half of my moose? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to figure out where you're like, what your 
thought where your thinking is. Um, if possible, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't really know how it goes. Is that is that something that happens a lot? Guys just kind of donate. I think a lot a, of the meat. Yeah, I think a lot of it does. I mean, everybody's different. I know if you're gonna drive up. I mean, that is by far the most and economical I've way. I that around as well. It just, it's just a long drive. Yeah, something in there says it's all into my control if I drive. Like, I yes. know I'm going to get that meat back. Yes. And if you, I mean, look, it all depends on what you want to do. Guys, you know, I've I've read articles online about guys driving up from, like, the Midwest and even the South. I mean, just being like, we, we're going to take three weeks or four weeks or whatever. And they're going to do this huge trip, treating it like a once in a lifetime thing. And they're just going to drive all the way and do like a caribou hunter or something like that. Right. It is doable. I think in our minds, we think, Oh, the only way to do it is to fly. It's too far to drive. Dude, the road from your house goes to Alaska. <laughs> I promise it does. <laughs> the road from your front door. If you're listening to this, it goes to Alaska. Yeah. So that is an option and it's a real option. And you, you know, you put three, four guys in a truck and split the gas and, and the road trips are fun. Yeah. The big challenge is just getting the time off. Right. Yeah. It just takes a lot longer. I think it'd be an unforgettable drive though. It would be. But when you talk about getting a couple of moose home, you, I mean, that can really defray the cost of that drive for sure. And you, like you said, you've got complete quality control of those mm-hmm. moose horns and all those piles of moose meat and that is i can't imagine shipping home oh man a thousand pounds of moose meat is cheap no nothing nothing about that's cheap yeah yeah i think that's it seems like the more guys i've talked to that's where the cost just gets shipping jacked meat. up like inflated crazy like all of a sudden boom there's your cost yeah and i don't know i don't think back. you're getting a thousand pounds like debone off a of moose i can't for, remember but for two Oh, yeah. 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 Maybe more, depending on how big. I mean, bulls come in different. That's another thing, too. It's like sometimes you'll shoot a moose and be like, okay, that's a moose. That's a bull moose. That's a good moose. And then sometimes there's like a draft horse moose. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, they're big critters. So, no, that's an area that um, I have not jumped into the real nitty gritty cost breakdown logistical details of that yet because I've been saving it for <laughs> the moose guide, which will come out after the caribou yeah. guide. And dude, I mean, that's why the sickle blacktail is so awesome because the quality of that hunt is such a cool adventure and you're taking a box, a box home full of meat, mm-hmm. debone meat. Mm-hmm. That's awesome meat, you know, but it might Probably be like bring that on your carry on 80 huh? pounds. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all in the guide, man. Better check that out. <laughs> it's all in the guide. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. It's that's the best and easiest way by far is to freeze that sucker solid and box it up and seventy five bucks. Alaska Airlines flies at home for you is a checked bag. It's not bad. Can't do it as carry on. Can't do it as carry on, but Yep, good stuff. Yeah. So many opportunities up there in Alaska. I'm afraid what's going to happen is that first trip, whether it's a Sitka or the moose next year, um, probably you say it's a once in a lifetime, it'll probably just end up in every year, every other year thing. <laughs> I don't think, that scares sh- I don't my think wife. shooting a moose every other year is a bad thing. Well, not thing. the moose. <laughs> there'll be something else that lures you up there. Um, the mountain goats. Mountain goats. Yeah. Yeah. Keep listening to Abe talk and he'll talk you into going up and chasing mountain goats. <laughs> Dude, you got to come up to Cody. I can see the goat hunting up there. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, wait till you see it. <laughs> it's good, man. Oh man, it's good. All right, I'm about ready to sign off. How are you guys doing? It's late. Yeah. We always end up with late. It's fun late podcasts. But it's late Idaho time. Luckily, we always have a nice, you know, solid cup of dark coffee before we right. start these podcasts. For sure. It's only one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's like, that's 11 o'clock my time. Oh. No, this has been fun, you guys. Dude, Ryan, I don't know, man. It's been fun getting to know you. And like, honestly, you've been a big inspiration for me. Just getting it done, you know, and watching you work really hard. And also, I love sitting down and talking with you and having these conversations because I learn so much. And if I'm asking dumb questions or like, if I'm spending too much time on the details that people are getting bored, it's, I don't care. Cause I just love hearing your perspective on how you go about hunting and kind of getting into like how the why behind you do certain things. And I, I just appreciate it, man. I love how open you are with, with folks about getting out there and how you've had that kind of success. And I know guys like, I can only imagine Jeff appreciates that. And I know guys like Ryan, and Joey and well, you've hunted with Joey your whole life, but a lot of guys yeah. around you that you're told you're an open book and it's fun hearing the stories, man. I'm an open book right up until I get that age old question that I hate to hear. What's that? <laughs> Where's your hunt spot? Where's your hunt? Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you shoot that? What airstrip were you on? That's the, uh, that's the latest. Uh, what airstrip or yeah, where you at? Yeah, that question, if anybody's listening, that's just a no, no question, <laughs> so, no matter so. what. Just know that um, I'm a pretty honest dude right up until that question comes out. And then I will lie, 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 uh, as we all should. Pretty much anybody who's asked me that this year, if you listen, I, I lied to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just... You're going to feel good about lying. It's at that question. Where, yeah. Where are you at? That's interesting because I think that guys who ask that question think that going to a spot is the answer to learning how to hunt. Man, I hate it because it's like, you know, maybe it's just too cliche and people think it's too cliche, but, um, a lot of the fun in this is just figuring it out yourself. It is. And that's how you learn how to hunt. It is. It's, it's going through the legwork and I, I respect guys that just, they just pick up a new, a spot and they go for it and they learn it and they figure it out and, um, you know, success or not, they're learning it. Um, way more respect for that guy versus guy that's being told, go here. Right. Um, Absolutely. So, well, the other thing too, is if you listen to any conversations where you're telling hunting stories, Ryan, and you're listening to how you think about how you look at country and, and just the way you talk about hunting, it's like, there is so much information to glean from that. That if a guy that doesn't know or a gal, I, w- I don't, I don't want to leave out the the women h- hunters. Um, if anybody's listening to that, I mean, so much of that is actually very valuable and useful information that I think people gloss over and they 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 don't take that as seriously as they could, and and they just want the easy the easy answer. But if you take if you like, just I'm just thinking of this conversation, the last conversation that we had. Um, a year ago, all the stories that you told, there is so many pointers and so much good information that you're sharing as you're just telling a story. And if you go out, you know, 
and you've never been a successful, you've been successful in the backcountry before, and you just put half of that stuff to use, and then you just work really hard, you know, but put half the stuff that Ryan's talking about into practice, and then work your butt off and don't give up, like Jeff is saying, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, put in the work, give yourself enough time, you might not have success this year, you might not have success next year, but you're going to be learning, and you're going to be, right. man, you're going to be so far ahead, like, I don't know, I just think that it's so valuable to have people who are willing to talk about successful folks who are willing to talk about how to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who won't talk about it at all. So anyway, I'm kind of babbling and I do that. I just think this is really, really um, I think, I think there's a lot of people that are recognizing that, you know, not that hunting is in uber danger of, you know, going away anytime immediate future, but it is so extremely important that we, get young guys aboard and get them experienced and get them talking the talk, you know, learning how to talk about hunting and educated on it and, you know, getting them to find success and put in the work. That's so important that you kind of, you just want to get guys motivated to go do it. You want to give them little tips and tactics and Mm -hmm. tricks and things like that without giving up, you know, that one piece that they have to go do for themselves. And that's, find their spot themselves, put in that work that's on them. But, uh, you know, I think if, if we just all kind of stay in our shell and not talk, not talk to the younger guys, just because I want to be completely selfish, which is how I was for a lot of years. Um, it's not doing the community any favors for, uh, for the future. And, uh, maybe it's because I've got daughters now and I want to make sure that, you know, hunting is going in the right direction and they have something to actually go do. They can still, keep this tradition alive, you know, when I'm gone and, um, they'll be talking about it in the right ways. And, uh, I think that's one of the most important parts. And that's, that's why I like being open about tactics and whatnot. People still got to go put in the work and find their spots and do that. There's a lot of work for that, a lot of work in that, but, um, yeah, I, I've found it to be a lot of fun just talking about these stories and, yeah, giving people advice and hopefully it works for them. But it's worked for me so far, at least in the latter years, with all those failures failures in the beginning. It's it's never been easy, but these years it, it pays off, and that's just from trial and error. That's how you get. I mean, that's you put in your time, you pay your dues, right? I mean, you shoot the, you work hard and you shoot small deer, and then you put some of those pieces of the puzzle together and you start right. figuring stuff out and you start finding bigger deer and it's the moral it's a process podcast Just shoot more small deer, shoot lots fill, of small yeah. deer, <laughs> fill that freezer every and year. And then in the end, shoot a big deer. I mean, one of the things that I'll definitely say is if you're not working yourself into the ground in the back country, like just on harder, I mean, it can be, there's a lot that you got to, that I think you need to know and learn and do right. But effort goes, can go so far. And luck will find you sometimes when you just put in the effort. That's absolutely. the other thing too. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Jeff. You got anything, man? I think we're good. You good? You ready oh, yeah. for ready for bed? I'm about there. Oh man, I'm, I'm getting old. So are you? This is fun, guys. <laughs> you young buck. <laughs> thanks so much for coming uh, on. This is a blast. Thank you, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Aid. You bet. <laughs> This is Alaska DIY. Alaska DIY. <laughs>
Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Alaska DIY. If you are interested in the show notes, or if you want to get notifications via the email so you don't miss another episode, I'm going to send you to my website. But before you go there, no, I just want to be completely upfront and honest with you. I started Alaska DIY to help some buddies back home who have always dreamed of hunting Alaska, but just did not know where to start planning their hunt. So I thought, hey, I can do something about this. And I created this guide called the Kodiak Sitka Blacktail Guide. It's my first product that I put out. I am charging money for it. It is for sale. But here's the deal. I believe in providing way more value than what I ask for in return. So check out the guide. It's 100 bucks. Or I just recently included a new payment option where for $10 a month for a year, so it's $120, you pay a little bit more. It's the, it's the price of a good six-pack of IPA. You know, 10 bucks a month, you can get that guide. And of course, there's a full refund, infinity money back guarantee, like all that kind of, like, I'm not going to take your money if you're not happy with it. So check it out if you want to. Okay, but this is not a sales pitch. I don't want to, I don't want you to think that I'm pitching you on this. This is if you're interested. If this is a dream that you've ever had and, and you're interested in a written how-to guide with links and phone numbers of services and products and all the things that you need from one end to the other, even if you've never planned an out-of-state hunt before, it's all in there. If you're interested in that, then you're welcome to go check it out, okay? But I just want to let you know that I'm going to send you to the website in order to get the show notes, and I don't want you to be like, oh, this guy's so sleazy. You know, he's sending, it's like the backdoor sales thing where it's like you tease me with show notes and then you just slam me with the sales pitch. Okay, it's not like that. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's just all on one website. So if you're not interested in that, ignore the webpage that says buy now or get a sneak peek. Don't don't look at any of that. Go to huntalaskadiy.com. Huntalaskadiy.com. Go there, go to the upper right-hand corner, click on podcast, okay? That's going to take you to the podcast page where you can stream the episodes and you can get show notes with links of things that we talk about on there. Now, if you want to get an email notification so you don't miss any future episodes of Alaska DIY, you can click on the upper right-hand corner where it says, what does it say? I wrote it. Subscribe. It says subscribe. Click there. You can punch in your name and email, and I'll send you uh, a notification every time I'm releasing a new episode so you don't miss one. Now, I will send you an occasional email mainly about stuff I'm learning while in the field, tips or tricks that might help you out when you come up to Alaskan hunt, some potential gear reviews, or maybe less formal than a review, but just stuff I'm trying out and like, hey, this worked really awesome for me. I recommend it if you're coming up here and hunting in these type of circumstances. So if you want more information about Alaska, occasionally, remember I'm in the field about seven months out of the year, you can subscribe to that newsletter as well as get the notifications when the podcasts drop. Okay, so upper right-hand corner podcast, click there for show notes. Upper right-hand corner subscribe, click there for occasional email plus notifications of, on when new podcasts drop. And then if you don't want to be sold nothing, you know, you're, you've been warned. So just don't look at the main page where it talks about the Kodiak Sitka Blacktail Guide, how cool it is, how easy it is to use it, and how awesome the money-back guarantee really... Actually, it doesn't say that at all. It just says, like money back guarantee, I think. If you have any questions, you can always email me 
at abe, A-B-E, at huntalaskadiy.com. Okay, I have a ton of fun recording these podcasts and getting them out there for you folks just to share it with you. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I hope it's been helpful in some way or at the very least mildly entertaining for you and made your morning or evening commute go by just a little bit quicker. Just one more thing before I turn this contraption off. When my children were approaching hunting age, I knew that I wanted to teach them about the tenderness of hunting. There's always been a moment right after I kill an animal that is overwhelmingly conflicting. When I kneel next to an animal that died at my hands, I experience elation, joy, and gratitude as well as love and sorrow. In an effort to mark this tender moment, I began a very simple family tradition. Now when we take an animal's life, the killer kneels and places a hand on the dead animal's still warm body and recites these words, Thank you for your life which sustains us. It's not much, but a reminder to pause in an otherwise busy and exciting moment to show our respect and gratitude. It's also a reminder that the meat that nourishes our bodies throughout the year came at the expense of an individual animal's life. So here is my ask for you. Take a child or a loved one into the woods. Teach them love and respect for all things. Teach them the skills necessary to hunt with humility and to be deadly so that animals do not suffer at their hands. Most importantly, teach them to be grateful for wild places and wild creatures.